Hale Varsity Radio, every weekday afternoon from 4 to 6 p.m. On Thursday, show from counterread.com, Brandon Vogel, former Colorado football head coach Gary Barnett, and staff writer for The Athletic, Mitch Sherman, that and more. Hale Varsity Radio is the best sports talk radio show around. Chris Schmidt and Elijah Herbal have you covered every weekday, 4 to 6 p.m. with Hale Varsity Radio. Sports presents the Damon Benning Show with Ravi Lula. And the pitch. High fly ball, deep right field, and that one sails on out of here. Long home run, Corbin Carroll. It's a one-run ball game. It's 3-2. The 0-1 pitch. Swung on, ripped down the left field line. That's going to be a base hit for Castellanos. Harper is off to the races, around second. He's heading for third. The helmet comes flying off. They're going to wave him to the plate. The relay home is not in time. Harper scores from first as Castellanos is in at third. And the Phillies take a 4-1 lead. Here's the pitch. It's hit out into right field to his left, Margot. He'll get there to make the catch. He throws toward first. Leone gets back, but tagging at third is low. He races in to score the game's first run. Swing a high drive, deep left field, backing up Barsha on a run, turning. It's gone. Home run. Royce Lewis will touch them all. A two-run shot to light him up here in Minneapolis. Coach just sprung that on them on a Sunday, and they went out there and had probably one of their better practices ever in pads. So... Uh, they they have responded up to this point, so it, but it's still a process, right? And the, the tell tell will be when when uh, the clock reads zero uh, Friday night. So. Okay, cool. Let's start over. Uh, good morning. Welcome into Herd Out Sports Radio. I'm Ravi Lula. That's Anna Bellinghausen. She's joining me here today on a Wednesday, which is off to a terrific start. Uh, we have a great show for you here today. We are powered by Cornhead Lager. I don't know if you've ever thought to yourself, you know, if I drink more beers, I'm actually going to help Nebraska football. Mm. Uh, I know I have. Okay. And now it's actually true because wow. Cornhead Lager is the NIL beer of the 1890 initiative for Nebraska. So technically, every beer you drink goes directly to help Nebraska football. You're doing the Lord's work here drinking Cornhead Lager. So responsibly. But uh, we appreciate them powering our show. Uh, on the show today, we will have. Uh, some terrific guests. Brian Christofferson, as always, at 8 o'clock from Husker 24-7. Kevin Suits from 1011 News in Lincoln. Our guy Marty Cordero will be here at 845. I think we're both going to Union Omaha tonight. Oh, yeah. Uh, so I'm very excited for that. They're riding an 11-game unbeaten streak. Ten of those are straight-up Ws. And then we'll talk to our friend Avery Howard at 9 45. You can always be a part of the show uh, at the Warhorse Sportsbook hotline, 888-638-4876. And, of course, you're listening to us on AM590, ESPN Omaha, ESPN Tri-Cities, YouTube, Twitter, wherever you want to find us, podcasts. We appreciate you tuning in. All of that being said, Anna, how are you this morning? Geez, I'm good. I didn't realize the rush hour traffic in Omaha is real. Um, I yeah. will now yeah. – 
be humbled by that <laughs> and it's it's turning into LA here in Omaha already. Yeah, I so I've been working from home mostly for the last three and a half years and every once in a while I forget normal rush hour times mm. and I'm like, Oh, I'm gonna go do this and that and then I get in the car and I'm like, What is going on? <laughs> And it's like 5.30, of course, and it's a terrible time. I know. I forget I live in a city sometimes. I'm like, oh, wait, there are other people trying to get to work just like I am. Yeah. So. Well, did you grow up here? I did, yes. So it it also is really hard for me to get out of my head that it's not like it used to be. Like, mm-hmm. th- this did not used to be a thing. Like, you could avoid going one direction on totally. the interstate for like 20 minutes in the morning, 20 minutes in the afternoon, and you were fine. And now it's like a two, three hour gap on either side of rush hour. And it's like, well, I don't know how much I like this. It's funny because when I leave work, I feel like sometimes the earlier I leave, the worse the traffic is. I'm like, oh, I'll leave at 430, you know, maybe beat some traffic. (laughs) No. That's what everyone's leaving nowadays. Yeah. you Honestly, I think you have to be on the interstate by like three to avoid rush hour traffic, which is really dumb. Mm -hmm. I hate it, um, but it is what it is. I guess, you know, the perils of a growing city or something like that. I don't know. but we appreciate Anna joining us here today. We've got, uh, obviously, some Major League Baseball to get to, which is, uh, you know, as I was telling you when our mics were off. Um, Major League Baseball. Whoa. Um, the, this is probably the most baseball. Because I, I watched most of all four games yesterday, and that's probably the most baseball I've watched. Well, four games in a day is aggressive. Mm-hmm. So probably the most since I've watched last year in the playoffs, but certainly the most I've watched since the Red Sox were, again, not mathematically eliminated, but for all intents and purposes, I realized, oh, this is not a very good baseball team. Uh, So it's nice to enjoy competitive baseball again. Uh, Not that the Red Sox played any of that this year. (laughs) Uh, Are you you a big baseball fan? Oh, yeah, uh, absolutely. I grew up a Royals fan, so I feel your pain on the competitive baseball this year. 100 wins is not, or 100 losses is not fun. I I probably don't have a lot of room to complain next to a Royals fan. Yeah, it's tough out here, but I mean... Got 2015. That's all I needed throughout childhood just to keep that spark. But, no, I grew up going to the either Omaha Royals games or Storm Chaser games, whatever mm-hmm. year it was. And then G- Did Husker you get a little baseball. Golden Spikes? Or are um, you too young for the Golden I Spikes? I was not. I don't remember the Golden Spikes. Okay. But I did have in my room a Golden Spikes helmet signed by Billy Butler. Oh, nice. But I had, like, never understood when I was a kid. Like, I was like, why is it? I was like, Dad, why is the logo? Like, was it an alternate uniform? I, I didn't understand. But yeah, for sure. No, it was like this weird four. I don't even know how long it was. It was only a few years. Mm-hmm. They're I, just trying it out. Well, is Union Pacific had bought the team, and so they wanted like a train themed mm. whatever. Um, and I don't know if they still own the team. I have no idea what happened with it. I think they sold it, and we're like, okay, we're going away from this silly logo. Um, but yeah, so there was. Uh, there's, I mean, there's actually some really quality Omaha Royals memories. I remember watching Johnny Damon at Rosenblatt. Yeah. Like, that was pretty cool. I mean, Bo Jackson played a game there. Yeah. I mean, you want to go all the way back, which I'm not this old, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> like, like George Brett played there, yeah. like Brett Saberhagen played yeah. there. All of the great, uh, Royals from the eighties came through Omaha. So it's a pretty cool deal. And, you know, 
Marty Cordero, obviously, who's joining us at 845 to talk about Union Omaha. Pretty involved with the, uh, I would say, Omaha Storm Chasers as well. So uh, maybe we'll get into a little bit of memory lane for them. Oh, he has some stories. There's an awesome picture of Marty laying on the ground of Rosenblatt the day <laughs> that they, the last game yeah. ever played there for for the Royals at the time. And it's a, it's a pretty just iconic building. So we'll oh, have to ask sure. him about some memories. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So we will, uh, we'll talk to Marty at... 845. I'm excited. So this will be my first ever Union Omaha game. Okay. I've been trying to go for the past like couple years. Just didn't work out for whatever reason. But I hit Marty up. I was like, Marty, it's time. Let's get it done. So I'm going tonight. I'm very excited. Their fans are rabid. Like That's what I've heard. That's kind of why I want to go. Yeah, these soccer fans do not mess around whatsoever. We had a uh, an event with them, a women in media event. Mm-hmm. So we had a it was a women's sports panel. Avery Howard and I were on it, and and some other influential women throughout the community and the soccer community, and their whole entire section turned up yeah they're all their fans showed up it was amazing they packed uh the theater at i don't know like 7 p.m on a wednesday it was incredible so just their support not only like on the field but off the field they do so many community events Mm -hmm. it's pretty remarkable to see just the just the group and the love that they that they found with soccer in omaha it's amazing yeah soccer fans are a different breed oh for sure wherever you go obviously the um, I'm a I'm a big Premier League fan, so like those fans take it to the whole other level, right? But even you know, there's this group of of like U.S. men's team and women's team soccer fans called the uh, American Outlaws, and those people are like on a whole other level. Also, they travel all these games, and they've got I think there's a chapter here in Omaha, but they have kind of these chapters throughout the country, so you can do watch parties mm-hmm. and stuff with them, and sort of get the whole soccer fan experience. So. Uh, really excited to be a part of that tonight. I uh, I might have to go get some gear. I like their the 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 scarves are sweet. Yeah, and it's getting it's getting kind of that time of year, starting mm-hmm. to cool off a little bit. So I might have to might have to check it out. I'm always I am always a sucker for a good hoodie though. Too. Oh yeah, I got chills throughout my body. I yeah, I'm gonna be like Taylor. I'm gonna get chills throughout my body, <laughs> Shane. Uh, unless I wear a scarf and I'll be all right. Uh, playing away games. <laughs> Because uh, I haven't gotten any of that hurt at swag yet. Yeah, I'm you still, need to get these sweatshirts. You Come know, on. I keep, I keep, I keep hitting Chris up. I'm like, hey, bud, just run into the closet in there and just <laughs> grab some. That's the funny thing is, I don't know where any of the stuff is because I've only been to headquarters like six times. <laughs> okay, ever. I'll show you next time. <laughs> All right, the next meeting, I'll show you. Because I don't like, I work there, but I don't like actually work there. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm always here. So, and here is the hurt at sports bar and grill. In case I forgot to say that, which I've do almost every day uh we are at the h and h chevrolet stage we appreciate them for sure we've got some people chiming in already on you guys on the chat thomas travis uh somebody who is bald apparently uh really appreciate you guys checking in already uh where i kind of wanted to start today though was you know i'm, I'm listening to the press conferences of Matt Rule from a couple days ago, from Tony White last night or yesterday, from Marcus Satterfield yesterday. And, you know, we keep hearing about this Sunday practice, right? This, oh, we practiced hard on Sunday. We went full pads, which I suppose I don't have a f- total frame of reference for, but seems incredibly rare that they're going full pads the day after a game, right? Oh, 100%. And so I'm, I'm starting to think in my mind, the way they're talking about this thing, the way that rule 
had talked about after the game, hey, you're going to find out about us on Friday. You're going to find out about Nebraska football on Friday. And I'm starting to put these pieces together. And I kind of have this flashback in my mind to, have you seen the movie Miracle? Oh, yeah. I'm having this flashback. You know what scene I'm talking about already, Mm -hmm. don't you? I have this flashback in my mind to this scene after an exhibition where Team USA does not play well. They're flirting with girls in the stands and, you know, not J.J. McCarthy, like kissing them in the stands, (laughs) but um, flirting with girls in the stands and and kind of figuring out what their after-game plans are or whatever. And Coach Herb Brooks is not having it. And so they stand there and they do lines over and over and over again until this thing is over or until he's satisfied with with their responses on on who they are as a team. And I keep thinking about this, and it's way too early to know, obviously, right? But I think there's a chance if this goes the way Matt Rule thinks it's going to go, not just Friday, but long-term with Nebraska, that we might end up looking back at that Sunday practice as kind of a big deal Mm -hmm. long-term. Have you gotten that sense at all? Am I just digging too deep here like what have your thoughts been about the way they've talked about it because they've kind of put a lot of emphasis on what happened on Sunday yeah for sure and and obviously it is unusual for a coach to say all right boys you know put the pads on we're gonna do a full practice this Sunday obviously after a Saturday game where you just completely get blown out so I think it'll show a lot of character throughout Nebraska and the team that they have and I I do enjoy the way that the players and the coaches have talked about it because I mean you don't want the guys to come out there and say the exact same thing right they haven't been blown out like that all season long so they should be talking different they should be responding different right and so I think Husker fans should have been worried if they would just hear the same thing over and over again after every single game regardless of that score regardless of the outcome but I think them being transparent and hey that sucked we don't want that feeling Mm -hmm. again we're going to do something about it and this is the discipline that we're expecting out of these players I think is is a positive step in in the right direction so yeah I I I would agree with you Ravi in your uh little metaphor there if you will (laughs) uh to Miracle a great movie um but I I think it could be just a turning point or a realization point of hey guys like this coaching this coaching staff is very serious about what we're doing yeah and um just kind of just kind of show that they're about it, right? It's they're yeah. not just going through the motions. It's not like a lip service thing, right? Like Matt Rule can go out there and say like, "Hey, we played unacceptably." But if you continue to do things the way you've done them, are you just enforcing it's like, "Okay, I'm saying it's unacceptable. Obviously, we'd like it to change, but we're not actually going to mm-hmm. do anything differently." This is I mean, this is a very tangible thing that we can point at and say, "Hey, that's that's different. That is a different thing they did. They didn't like how they looked on Saturday. They didn't. And honestly, it seemed like, hey, until we play or you show on a field that you are or on the grass, as they like to call it, uh, which bothers me a lot. I don't know why. I didn't know that. They say they like to say grass. Tony White does almost exclusively. He goes, oh, we got to get there out on there on the grass. And, and it I'll be mm. honest, it drives me a little crazy. Um, it's turf. It, it, I mean, whatever, field, <laughs> turf, whatever, just he, he calls you gotta it. You got to get on the grass and play ball. Every time. And I'm just like, Tony, I need you to stop. I, I understand, though. Uh, <laughs> Actually, do it when the lights are on, right? Yes, Tony, do it when the lights are on. Uh, but, no, so it, it was a – it was a – to me, it was an interesting step because you usually don't see or, I, I guess, hear about a lot of the – 
Like, oh, this is a thing we did differently in practice. Mm-hmm. Like, coaches usually don't give you that. Right. And not that he even gave you specifics, except for he was like, hey, we kind of got after it. Like, we went and said, hey, if you're not going to play to the standard that we set on Saturday, you're going to have to go out there and do it the next day, which is why I thought of that scene in Miracle, because it, was, it wasn't about – like, if they had lost 45-7 to seven, and Matt Rule genuinely thought, hey – that was our best football game. And it was like off day. Yeah. That, I think that would bother a lot of people. Even, well, I mean, it would. It would definitely bother a lot of people. But I mean, like, if, if, he, if they went out there and they executed to the best of their ability and Michigan was literally just 38 points better than Nebraska, I actually think Matt Rule can live with that mm-hmm. in the moment, right? Because he's like, okay, we got to get better players. We got to develop the players we have. A lot of the things that he talked about, right? But... He doesn't feel that way. He very clearly does not feel like Michigan is right. 38 points better than Nebraska. And I don't know what that number is because Michigan is better than Nebraska, by the <laughs> way. Like, that's not a hot take. I don't know if the right number is 14. I don't know if it's 21. I don't know where it is. But obviously, Matt Rule felt like 38 wasn't it. Mm-hmm. And so it was kind of like, hey, if you're not going to meet the standard on Saturday, you're going to meet it on Sunday. And if you don't meet it on Sunday, you're going to meet it on Monday. Like one of these days, whether the lights are on or not, we're going to make sure you meet that standard. And then we'll figure out how to make sure it happens on the right day. Actually do it when the lights are on, right? Thank exactly. you, Shane. Um, so I posed this question to Johnny Rogers and Tommy Frazier on our show with them. Do you think it was a lack of effort more so or just a gap of talent? So I actually... Obviously, there is a talent gap, right? For like, sure. There's, there just is. Um, which is kind of funny because the talent gap between Ohio State and Michigan, if you want to go by star rankings, is almost the same size in the talent gap between Michigan and Nebraska. It's hmm. like 3-ish to 13 for uh, Ohio State to Michigan, and it's about 13 to 24, 25 for Nebraska to Michigan in terms of their like pretty consistent rankings. Michigan doesn't recruit in that super top tier, but they recruit guys that are perfect fits for them and then develop them really well. So that's just, I thought that was interesting. But so there is a talent gap, right, between Michigan and Nebraska. But I didn't think they didn't play hard. I thought they played incredibly tight. I thought the effort was there, but if you're trying as hard as you can and you're playing tight, it's not going to look good, yeah. right? And so that's what I thought it was more than anything. I got think I thought they kind of got in their head about hey, this is the number 2 team in the country. It's Michigan. Like we're not there yet. I think they went and and coach Rule and, and coach White and coach Satterfield all all kind of talked about this. A lot of guys were out there trying to be the guy not to make the mistake rather than being the guy that yep. wanted to make the play. And to me, that's just that's playing tight. And I mean, the, the most glaring issue had been the turnovers. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, we still saw, obviously, the fumble getting recovered. That was great. But, but then Sims – or, excuse me, Heinrich getting the ball batted down mm-hmm. the first drive, right? And that kind of set the tone and took the morale, I feel like, out of the Huskers. So, yeah, I think they were playing tight. Nobody in a post-game press conference after a win says, yeah, we played so well today. We were super tight. I was, yeah. you know, like no one says that, right? It's, it's I was like feeling loose. loose. I was confident. I was, yeah. you know, I was just having fun. Mm-hmm. And I don't think they were having fun. No, it, and, you know, Coach Rule brought this up. And it's way easier to say, see on defense, right? Because defense is kind of a more, like, I get that there's structure and there's, there's, 
Um, there's assignments and everything like that, but it, it's a it looks a little bit more free moving mm-hmm. than an offense does, which is like, hey, you have to run here and do this. Um, there is a big difference if you go back and watch Minnesota, and then you go watch Michigan. Just the way the defense is moving around is there's a huge difference, and I get the opponents are different. I get there's a huge gap between Minnesota and Michigan, but I think there's some things that you can see on tape that you look at and say, oh, that's a Nebraska independent of opponent thing that they didn't do as well against Michigan as they did against Minnesota. And that to me is kind of the most interesting thing because I didn't really think about it in those terms until I think Matt Rule said it. And so I went back and watched uh, thank God for BTN and 60. Um, I went back and watched the Minnesota game, and I was like, oh, yeah, they did look a mm-hmm. lot different. Oh, yeah. And to, the, it, to, a, it, to a degree that it almost looked like a different team. And, and I don't know how much of that's like, okay, Singleton got hurt, play one, Lenhart's out, Reimer's out. And that's something we can get into kind of throughout the show. I'm curious how much those injuries – because we, we – coming into the year right and tell me if you were on this page or not it felt like we were concerned about the depth on defense especially defensive line and linebacker we're like hey we we like some of these guys but but i don't know how deep they are Mm -hmm. then after four games we're like oh he can throw anybody out there and it's gonna look great this guy's a genius which he probably is but it doesn't matter who's out there and then you start to see some injuries and you're like oh is that a michigan thing or is that an injury thing like how much like, how did you kind of process through that with the injuries and, and how much credit or blame you gave them to how things looked? Uh, I mean, injuries do obviously matter. Sure, yeah, especially to three of your better players on defense, right? And right? it's your it's your best tackler, so I think that um, just takes out a lot of the leadership, right? And the, the communication, I'm sure, was a big part because you're looking at guys to fill in the gaps that barely have played college ball, right? You're yeah. looking at freshmen, you're looking at sophomores and guys that haven't had that experience necessarily. And you're also playing the number two team in the country with the first right. year staff. Yeah. So I feel like Husker fans were maybe too quick to say that because we expect so much out of Rule and his capabilities as a coach and his coaching staff that we sometimes, I feel like, forget, hey, this guy is in his first year at Nebraska yeah. learning it as well, just as we're learning him and who he is. And you're playing the number two team in the country with so much pressure. A new stadium basically just got announced $450 million. Yeah. So, like, there's a lot of buzz going around Lincoln. And um, it felt like the week leading up, everyone said, oh, it's been quiet and whatnot. But, I mean, maybe there was a reason why, because this team didn't feel like it could compete at that level yet. Yeah. And Matt Rule did say that after. He's like, it's just – it's the gap, right? We're not at that level of Michigan, and it was obviously apparent. Mm-hmm. And I think that should light a fire under them too, though. Yeah, for sure. And we'll get into that more. I also want to get into uh, the Heinrich Harburg situation and the quarterback situation in general because I actually think there's something that kind of flew under the radar with Harburg's performance on Saturday that I want to dig into. We'll have all that and more coming up on Herd at Sports Radio on AM590 ESPN Omaha. Heard at Sports presents the Damon Benning Show with Ravi Lula. All right, you got to get on the grass and play ball. 
Okay, and and that's the most disappointing thing. You know, when you're looking at it as a coach, like it, you go back and look at like, what did I do wrong? So that way those guys can go because they do everything that's asked, right? I mean, they came in on Sunday and 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 went through went, had a had a really good practice, you know. And so they're gonna they're gonna go and do it. So now one, we gotta we gotta do our part, make sure they know what the hell to do, so they can go do it, and then demand that of them, make sure that they understand. Again, I said this before, and I know coach, this is from coaches. Like, there is a way you're going to play football in Nebraska, okay? And that was not good enough on Saturday. Welcome back to Herd at Sports Radio here on AM590, ESPN Omaha, ESPN Tri-Cities. I'm Ravi Lula. That's Anna Bellinghausen. Shane out here just playing some pet peeve clips for me, you know, making it kind of a hostile work environment. <laughs> if you've got some issues, whether you need workman's comp, your, your coworkers aren't treating you right, you can give our friends a dire law call. That's you got to get on the grass and play ball. How dare you, Shane? You're about to have a personal injury that you're going to have to call Dyer about. Uh, that's D-Y-E-R dot law. You can give them a call at 402-393-7529 if you've been hurt in a personal injury accident, if you've got a workman's comp claim, they have you covered, and they will lend a helping hand uh, however you need. That's D-Y-E-R dot law. Uh, Regardless it, of who the hell the opponent is, really, really we got to do things a certain way to give <laughs> ourselves a chance to win. Really, you got to get on the grass and play ball. I see how it is, Shane. We're going to have we're gonna have some words at the break. Uh, There's a way you're going to play <laughs> football in Nebraska, and that was not good enough on Saturday. Uh, I wanted to get into Heinrich Harburg because I actually I think that he play, maybe played better than people realize on Saturday. Um, there was, I mean, his stats are not spectacular, right? There were 14 for 25. Um, he ended up uh, 199 yards passing. Like those are those numbers are fine. They are not special. Uh, what I did think was interesting, though, is. I think Coach Rule said this. It might have been Satterfield. He said something about, hey, after that, that batted interception, he went on to complete his next seven pass. And I was like, is that right? And so I went back and watched the, the Michigan game last night. And sure enough, gets that batted pass, which I understand it ended up in inter- as an interception. He had, I think, four batted passes in the game. So that's not ideal. That's kind of an issue of its own. But... When I look at that, I don't look at that and say, hey, that was an interceptable ball, mm-hmm. right? There was a play later in, on in the game where he threw the ball that probably should have been intercepted. He, over, he intercepted. He overthrew his receiver. There was a safety behind him. The safety just didn't make – or it might not. It might have been a corner. But there was help over top, and the, the help just didn't make the play on it, right? Didn't end up being an interception, but that was an interceptable ball. I don't think the batted pass is. I just, I just don't count them that way when I'm kind of evaluating things. Um, but he did. After the, after the batted pass interception, he completes seven consecutive passes and didn't throw an incompletion the rest of the half until the very last play of the half where he's kind of scrambling and trying to make a play at the end of the half. And then to start the third quarter, he throws a huge, uh, gets a huge gainer to Marcus Washington uh, over the middle. It's a catch and run, but the ball, I think, was thrown about 15 yards in the air. Washington ends up, uh, ends up running um, about another 10, 15 yards, I believe, for a pretty long gain on that one. So at that point in the game, eight of his he was eight of eleven for 140 yards early in the third quarter, and two of the three 
incompletions slash the one interception were batted balls. He only missed on the one ball at the end of halftime where it was just trying to make a play. That's the only throw he missed. And then I'm watching the rest of the game. He threw an interceptable ball, the one I talked about in the fourth quarter. He had a drop by Washington that hit him in the hands. He th- threw a ball away on a busted screen, just threw it down at the, at the uh, running back's feet. And then he had two more batted balls that weren't intercepted or caught. He did have an extra batted ball that he caught himself, which technically goes down as a completion for him, but we're not going to count that one. And I guess my question is, I, I think he was actually pretty good throwing the ball against Michigan. I would agree in that he was letting his wide receivers go through their progressions, and I think he was being more patient than we had seen him. I mean, given there was obviously offensive line trouble throughout mm-hmm. that game, but Michigan's defense is just good, yeah, right? And he was playing the best defense he's definitely seen maybe since Minnesota. So I guess he didn't even really I would say, yeah, he, he saw Minnesota as a tight end. Is right, what he's, yeah. so he's... I mean, kind of seen it, but you've never seen anything like Michigan's defense if you're no. Henrik Harburg, right? He's a sophomore. This is his first year starting. So I, I think it was definitely – we should give him more credit, I think. I think you're right, Ravi, on that. Yeah, it, it just kind of really struck me because I, I watched – you know, you're watching that game live and you don't really think like, oh, Henrik Harburg's having a great game or yeah. anything like that. And I – you know, I even <laughs> made a joke with somebody on Twitter um, – about how I genuinely think Nebraska can win the next four games. Like, they're all winnable. Are they going to? I don't know. They haven't won four straight games since 2016, so, like, that's a tall task, right? But you look at the way the schedule breaks, and you're like, all of those are winnable games, whether they go 4-0, and 3-1, who knows? But, I'm, and they made a joke. They go, well, is it more likely that they'll win four games in a row or complete four consecutive passes? And I laughed. I go, yeah, probably win four games in a row is more likely. Not even realizing <laughs> that later that day I'd be realizing that Harburg completed seven passes in a row against the best defense he's going right. to face all year and probably one of the best defenses in the country, if we're being totally honest. And I don't know. It, it's definitely the best he's thrown the football this year probably and you're also thinking about a depleted wide receiver room yeah you don't have the backs that you're usually used to right you're having to put anthony grant in there albeit he's a great athlete and has been in that spotlight before but we don't have a lot of options right you don't have a lot of options there's a lot of pressure on you of course and you know you're getting essentially backed up by a guy in jeff sims who is the qb1 initially and is probably a better weapon than you at the moment right they see more reward out of him maybe a higher risk but then I mean he sees it he knows what people are saying about him so there there has to be some amount of pressure he puts on himself and in that position but I I think he went out there and I think he did what he could I he didn't necessarily make too many mistakes you talk about the batted ball interception I still I don't think I would count that as a interceptable ball either really and then Maybe a couple, you got to drop pass here, and then a ball thrown over a wide receiver's head. But, I, I mean, all in all, I don't think he played bad. No, I think the one interceptable ball was the only bad throw he made on the day. And if it's one? You live with that. That's like, a good day. <laughs> yeah, everybody throws one. <laughs> right. Right? Like, we saw Mahomes the other day throw. Threw three? Yeah, four? Th- brutal ones. Yeah. Two, and one of them, the one interception that he threw all the way across the field was just awful. Yeah. Like Mac Jones-esque bad interception. And so, yeah, you can live with one. And, and I've done – I've kind of been doing this with Harburg. This is the best game he's had throwing, I think. But he's only thrown about one interceptable ball a game. Mm-hmm. 
And the first two games, they got dropped. He didn't end up throwing an interception. And this one, the one interception that he did throw wasn't actually really an interceptable ball. It was just a great play by both defensive linemen that, that ended up being involved in that play. But I do think he's getting better as a passer, and I don't know that we've been paying attention in the sense of I think we just kind of assume it's like, hey, you really got to limit him. And to think about this, a lot of those passes came when they were already down 21 nothing. Mm-hmm. And Michigan knew they were going to be throwing the ball, right? It's one thing to be able to catch a team off guard and say, hey, we're going to do some play action here. We've been running the ball 70% of the time. We're going to take some shots here. And it's another to be down three scores and the other team know, like, yeah, they're going to have to start throwing it a little bit and that's out of their comfort zone and to still be successful there. That I, I, I genuinely on second and third watch, I was very impressed. I mean, he's also only a sophomore, right? Yeah. And we have to factor that and in. And has played essentially no college football before this year. Exactly. So yeah. you, you have to remember all of that. And I think just at Nebraska, our fans put so much emphasis on that quarterback position and high expectations. I oh, mean, yeah. as any fan base does, but... And I rightfully think, so. I right. Mean, yeah. He's been impressive. And I mean, the first two people to get blamed after a loss is the quarterback and the coach, of course. Mm-hmm. But that also comes with the position that you're put in. I mean, great responsibility, great power sort of thing. Shout out Spider-Man. <laughs> but, um, All right. I Uncle think, Ben. I think, yeah, out for our guy. I think he's uh, I think he's done a great job of handling that. And I also mm-hmm. like the way he handles himself in the press conferences yeah. as well. I mean, super mature. You can tell he's really about it. I mean, he's a Nebraska kid. He cares, and he wants his team to win more than anybody. And I think fans do appreciate that. And it's a great story, of course. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a Carney Catholic kid, and you love to see the homegrown Huskers, and it's something that Rule's trying to get back to, um, recruiting in-state and developing those guys. But, I mean, it's tough to it's tough to also evaluate after playing a number two team in the country really again. Is. Like yeah. you have to just factor in everything: first year coaching staff and new quarterbacks, a depleted wide receiver room again, and then the running back situation too. Like nothing is helping Heinrich Harburg, right? He has a lot of the cards against him. Oh, for sure. Yeah, he's got a lot stacked against him. Include you know you mentioned the depleted wide receiver room too, which I think is a much bigger deal than we kind of remember. Yeah. Um, that's that's probably the weakest unit on the offense is the wide receiver room. Even though I like a couple of those guys, there's just not a ton of depth there. Uh, the other thing before we wrap up this uh, quarterback conversation, I know people have been pretty harsh on Marcus Satterfield because they haven't scored a ton of points. They've looked a little lackluster. You have to give Marcus Satterfield credit, or at least some credit, for the development of Heinrich Harburg as well. Because Absolutely. With, I mean, before him... He had never seen the field, and he thought he was a tight end or going to be a tight end. Now he's throwing the ball pretty well against Michigan. That's a totally different deal. Um, coming up next, we will wrap up our number one here on Herd Out Sports Radio. Herd at Sports presents the Damon Benning Show with Ravi Lula. Yeah, I think um, especially the one – uh, that happened with Colorado was kind of the cadence issues, um, motion timing. So there's been a big emphasis on that this week. You know, we don't know, you know, sometimes going into stadiums, you have no clue, you know, is it is the crowd going to affect your cadence? Are you going to have to go on silent or, you know, can you stay verbal? So I think that's been one big thing. And then um, trying to create your own energy has been another one for us. Um, you know, obviously being here, no matter what the score is, you know, we always have people behind us or, 
um, the circumstance. We've seen that with Michigan and uh, Louisiana Tech. There's always people still there cheering us on. So. Wrapping up hour number one here on Herd at Sports Radio, I'm Ravi Lula. That's Anna Bellinghausen joining me here on a Wednesday. The YouTube comments are alive and popping as always. We appreciate all of our listeners uh, that join us there. You can also stream it on Twitter uh, and, of course, listen to us on AM590 ESPN Omaha or ESPN Tri-Cities if you're one of our lovely friends out in central Nebraska. Um, wanted to talk a little bit of baseball playoffs. I know we mentioned them earlier Um you're a Royals fan. I'm a Red Sox fan, so we're uh, both left out in the cold this year. Oh, yeah. Um, both have been left out in the cold for a little while now. Uh, I do enjoy rooting for Mookie Betts still, who I love dearly, despite uh, them trading him to that West Coast team that we don't even <laughs> like to talk about. But, um, no, it's uh, it's interesting. I, I really do, you know, one of our YouTube commenters say, you know, hot take, maybe playoff time is the only time to watch baseball i disagree there when the team that i like is actually good i really do enjoy uh baseball i grew up with it and i think it's you know probably sort of an omaha thing you grow up with the college world series and stuff you there's a lot of uh young baseball fans in this town maybe more so than they are uh throughout the country but uh one of the teams obviously growing up a, a red sox fan somebody that was near and dear to my heart even though you know never met him uh, was Tim Wakefield, who passed away over the weekend uh, from brain cancer. And I yeah, <laughs> promise not just talking about brain cancer here. This is a kind of a, a weird um, analogy to make. But one of the things that everybody, including myself, loved about Tim Wakefield so much was this. Um, he was kind of the ultimate teammate. And, and an, uh, an example of this is, so this is a guy that, kind of had to fight and claw for everything he got in Major League Baseball. He was from Florida Tech University, which if you knew that was an actual place, kudos to you. Um, I believe it was an NAI school at the time that Tim Wakefield went there, and he was drafted as a first baseman by the Pirates. And probably only because that was in like the 80s when the bats were still made out of like rocket fuel, and he hit a bunch of home runs one year in college, and the Pirates were like, yeah, why not? Let's give it a shot. Turns out the wood bats are a little bit different and <laughs> he was not a major league quality first baseman. They saw him throw a knuckleball one day and they're like, well, let's try that instead. Um, and his career was born. It wasn't all success. Obviously he was really good at first with the pirates ended up getting cut and then picked up by the Red Sox. But uh, I guess the place I'm going with this is so in 2004, when the Red Sox are down uh, to the Yankees, that's game three and they are getting they're getting their ass kicked. Like, they're just getting killed by the Yankees in Game 3 of the 4 ALCS. And Tim Wakefield goes to Tito Francona. Shout out to, to Terry Francona and his retirement. But he goes to Tito Francona. He says, hey, I, I know I'm supposed to start tomorrow, but if you need somebody to eat innings to save the bullpen, like, I, I'll go do it. Had, didn't even have cleats on. He wasn't supposed to pitch that day. And Francona's like, man, that would be awesome like thank you because if there's any chance for us to come back in this thing like we have to save pitchers and he's like yep i know i got it and so he went out there and was the sacrificial lamb in a game that ends up 19 to 8 and you're like if so that by himself by itself makes him a great teammate right but 
when you put it in the context of the year before, he had given up the home run in 2003 to Aaron Boone that sent the Yankees to the World Series in extra innings. And you know he was dying to redeem himself. And instead of giving, getting that opportunity, instead of taking that opportunity, which was rightfully his in Game 4 against the Yankees, he said, no, I'm going to go take one for the team because I believe my teammates can come back. And that's exactly what they did. They come back against the Yankees, still the only team to come back 03 in baseball history. People forget that. Um, and then they win the World Series. And it goes to show, you know, that's who he was on the field, it's who he was off the field. Um, he was a huge member of the Jimmy Fund, which is a cancer foundation that the Red Sox are a huge part of um, in terms of doing research and things like that. And my point in saying all this is, A, just, you know, shout out to a guy that I never met that meant a whole lot to me in Tim Wakefield. And B, I think it's a really good example of a couple things. One, of how some uh, sports can teach us about bigger things in life, right? In sometimes sacrificing and giving up what is rightfully yours or what you're entitled to or the thing that you feel like you deserve in order to put other people in a better position to succeed often is the best thing for you also, right? Like, yeah, you might be owed something, but doing what's best for everyone often ends up being best for you also. And that's something that I try and remember as much as possible because I can be a super selfish person. <laughs> and so that's something that I try and remember. And then the other thing is it reminds me all the time of just what it means to be a good teammate. And bringing this back to Nebraska football, it reminds me a lot of what it seems like Coach Rule is trying to instill in his players. He's trying to instill that this is what we do as Nebraska football players. It's unselfish. It is hardworking. It is doing what is right for everyone will be what's right for us. And that's probably maybe a little too philosophical of a point to make about a, a football team that's 2-3 and three and headed to another mediocre two and three big 10 west team but it's part of the reason i think matt rule is going to be successful here is because that's when he's talking about hey it's about the process it's about the process it's about the process i hear it's about things like that it's not just about the actual practice process it's not just about the workout process or the all of those things that's part of it but it's also about the things that teach you how to become a better person that just also happened to make you a better football player too. I mean, it's development, right? Mm -hmm. It's building relationships and it's building young men, right? At a crucial point of their lives where they could go one way or the other. Mm -hmm. And I think football is an outlet for a lot of people as sports is for plenty of athletes, right? And mm -hmm. it's something that can get your mind off other things in life. And I think you build a sanctuary with your team and that that's what I think Matt Rule is trying to do because I think he realizes, Hey, these are people first, right? Mm -hmm. The things that you hear about Matt Rule, about him being humble and, and, and just his background with everything and how Carolina ended up, but players still came to his house and talked to him mm -hmm. right after he got fired. And I think that says a lot about who Matt Rule is as a person. And I think that can be exemplified throughout the program of 
how these players respond to this adversity and how they stick together. And I did enjoy the quote from the press conference of we're going to find out who's one of us. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's that wasn't meant to be taken in a negative way. I think some people took it in a negative way. Sure. And it could come off that way. It totally could. But I think what was meant by that phrase is just we need to find who's in it for the team, mm-hmm. right? We need to find it, find who's in it for us. You're not trying to find somebody that just wants to get to the NFL mm-hmm. and try to find ways to get drafted eventually, but you're trying to find people that want to win and want to win for the right reasons. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what Matt Rule is trying to find out. And there's so much parallel in college football. I mean, you want to bring up a Coach Prime, a Deion Sanders, right? Sure. And he's doing it in Be a completely – Be careful, though. He'll take it personally. Exactly. He's going to take it in a completely different way, right? And mm-hmm. he found out who was one of us in a very different way. Mm-hmm. He said, leave, right? Leave. Yeah. He cleared the house. And Matt Rule didn't do that in Nebraska. He let these guys stay. He had conversations, probably tough conversations with players and what he's expecting out of them this season. And if they want to stick around. And, I mean, just how Rule spoke with Garrett Nelson about saying, hey, go to the NFL, dude. Get out of here, right? Yeah. In a loving way. It wasn't like, hey, we, we need you to go. We need you to save a spot for another guy right and I think that's doing what's best for the players overall and I think that's what rules about he's a players coach yeah he he really is and and you you have to appreciate because again even that approach with a guy like Garrett Nelson right is hey if you do what's best for everyone it'll be what's best for you long term like would it have been better for coach rule to have Garrett Nelson on the team this year yeah yeah absolutely (laughs) Like, would it have been better? I don't know if this was ever even a possibility, but would it have been better for Coach Rule if Trey Palmer was on this team this year? Uh, Yeah. They have basically no wide receivers left, and Trey Palmer is doing really well in the NFL. Mm -hmm. He'd be awesome to have on this team. But you know what? It was better for Trey Palmer to go. It was better for Garrett Nelson to go, and long-term that will pay dividends for Coach Rule. And – Kind of the one of us thing was that you brought up is is really interesting because I think people do sometimes take it negatively as like oh if you're not one of us then you're a bad guy you're doing these things and you know we're gonna kick you out of the program or whatever but I look at a guy like Casey Thompson who by all everything I've heard like really solid guy really solid teammate I think his priorities were just a little bit different than what Coach Rules was and I don't think I'd be surprised if there was any animosity on either side of that equation. But it just wasn't the right fit, right? Yep. It was just a situation where it's like, hey, this is what you need in your in the this part of your career. This is what we need at this point in our coaching tenure. Uh, unfortunately, that just doesn't match up. And I know there's people that are, are would love to see Casey Thompson on the field sometimes at quarterback, the way we've seen the quarterback play so far. But that's again, what's best for everyone long term will be best for you. And I think Coach Rule has really exemplified that uh, at times. Uh, coming up next, we will talk to our friend Brian Christofferson from Husker 24-7 here on Herd at Sports Radio. Herd at Sports presents the Damon Benning Show with Ravi Lula. Here is Husker 24-7 senior writer, Brian Christofferson. Yeah, it'll, it'll be a little bit of a circus act. Brian Christofferson. Well, I mean, that's that's pretty interesting. Brian Christofferson. <laughs> I, I kind of enjoy that. Here is Brian Christofferson. Uh, I think we're, I mean, we kind of know who we are now. We, you know, the main thing in an offensive identity is 
you don't want to be hard-headed and say we do a certain thing and you may not have the players to do it. I think that we've kind of just kept searching until we found, you know, how can we develop, how can we uh, gain some production at different spots and we know who those guys are and how to utilize them. And, you know, sometimes that comes through the air. Sometimes that comes through a run. It comes through a, very, you know, a variety of different ways that you can do it. But you know, we do have an identity from a standpoint and we know, you know, who we can lean on and who can produce. Kicking off hour number two here on Herd at Sports Radio. I'm Ravi Lula. That's Anna Bellinghausen. We are joined now by our friend from Husker 24-7, Brian Christofferson. BC, how are you this morning? I'm pretty swell. How are you guys? Oh, we are doing terrific. We are, you know, just enjoying this finally feeling like fall morning, which is nice. Um, I'm rocking the sweater, so I'm ready to go. Yeah, it's uh, it's. Uh, shorts with uh, hoodie weather, I think. So it's uh, a Midwestern delight, I think. Yeah, I do think shorts with a hoodie is kind of the unofficial Midwestern uniform. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I'm ready for the day. Uh, we got a game in two days, so we got to be on the ball a little bit here. So, yeah, it's good. Uh, let, let's start off with the fact that um, Illinois Stadium caught on fire last night. Uh, what do you yeah. know about that situation? Uh, is it... It seems oddly metaphorical for this game, uh, for just you know a dumpster fire to break out. Uh, what what do you know in terms of is this going to impact the the game at all? It, from what I've read, sounds like maybe not. But what do you know? I I know the same thing you do. Yeah, I saw the same statement, and I, that's the latest on it. So it sounds like they were able to to figure it out pretty fast and, and get it stopped, which is good. And so uh, game should be on as usual or otherwise, I would guess, in the next, you know, the, by this morning. But I don't suspect that. So um, weird deal, but uh, football's on, it seems like. Brian, we were talking before uh, you came on here about Heinrich Harburg. And, uh, you know, as I rewatched that game and kind of listened to Coach Satterfield, I think he ended up actually throwing the ball a lot better than I realized in the moment. And maybe even a little bit better than uh, his final stats would show. Um, there was kind of a stretch there in the first half. He was actually throwing the ball pretty well. What did you make of his performance? Per- obviously didn't run it the way we'd seen him in previous games, but uh, particularly throwing the ball. Yeah, I think you're right. Rob. Uh, coworker Schaefer was next to me kind of pumping him up like he's playing pretty well. And I was like, I don't know. You know, they had no points on the board at this point. <laughs> right. Thinking to my like, how well can it be going? And then you look down and he was um, 12 of 17 near the end of the third quarter. And um, as Sadio pointed out, he did have that stretch right after the tip and pick where he was like seven of eight for 100 plus yards. I thought the nice thing was. He got a chemistry on with Billy Kemp a little bit. You mm-hmm. can see where there was some timing that looked like it was on more than the previous weeks. And I know Michigan was really taking away. They're like, we're not going to let you run, youngster. I mean, you're not going to you're not going to have one of those days where you go for 100 yards on us uh, and and just have free a free trail to end. So they they took away that and probably did, gave away a few things in the process because that's how football always works. Nonetheless, he took advantage of that. And um, I think put some stuff on tape where Illinois, who is not the same defense as they were a year ago and is scuffing a bit themselves, is going to have to respect it. And, um, I, you know, I, I thought Rule was genuine when he said, amidst the law, there were things in Heinrich that I, I really did like. And um, I, I think when you go back and watch it, you can 
see that he he actually was in control throwing the ball a lot more than I think he's been in any game so far. So that is that is good. Uh, I mean, absolutely. And I do want to bring up just the point of Heinrich and just the development and seeing how he's worked with the wide receiver room and Billy Kemp and one that's honestly been depleted, your your running back room also being depleted. How do you think he's adjusted to that and how have they maybe adjusted that playbook too to make it maybe a little bit easier on him? Yeah, I think that's a really good point because, I mean, Heinrich is – uh, three starts in, but he's also trying to do this without um, the guys you thought would be alongside the ride with them. I mean, it's a very tough deal. And yeah, you're the starting QB at the University of Nebraska, all this pressure. And oh, yeah, we're going to take away your top two running backs. We're going <laughs> to yeah. take away people even for people even forget that, you know, Isaiah Garcia Castaneda was going to be part of the four five man rotation at wide receiver, if not the top three. And he's out right away. And so, um, yeah, he's he's had to work with limited options. Um, it, you would hope that by the end of this season, we start to see a little more Jalen Lloyd, um, maybe a Jaden Dots who is back on the – it sounds like he's back on the practice field now after a, a broken arm. Um, maybe he gets in there for four games at the end. Uh, but really, it's got to happen with the guys he's got. It's got to be Fedoni. It's got to be Billy Kemp. You know, Alex Bullock is going to have to be a guy who pops in. He's a good blocker, but he's going to have to catch two. And um, Marcus Washington is a veteran who I think we saw on the one play to start the second half. He can be uh, really good and a physical guy. Um, he's got to knock a couple drops away. He's had some passes that haven't helped his QB. He had a third down drop. I think it was his first half still of that game. Um, that they crushed a drive. So um, those guys, um, you know, when Rule said that point, are great players have to be great players? I know there was some eye rolling and like, okay, we're the great players by some in the fan base. But let's just say the best players on Nebraska's rosters, they have to be the, the best guys. They got to be the dudes who step up and they make out of the norm plays. They make mm-hmm. a catch like Roman Wilson made fishy, you know, where it's like, oh, I didn't necessarily expect when I showed up to the stadium today, but this guy, you know, Fedoni had one that one week where he went up and got the third down. That type of play where you got to see like four or five of them as opposed to just, you know, one of them. I also want to bring up the fact that we did see that chemistry between Heinrich and Billy Kemp. Is it worrisome that that might be the best receiver in the fact that he is a slot receiver and maybe you don't see those big yardage plays? Should Nebraska fans expect that maybe from someone else, like a weapon on the outside? Is is Nebraska going to be able to do that at any point of the year? I I don't know. Um, I I don't I don't mind that Billy's your top weapon um, necessarily because I I think he's he's averted his, uh, that over the years. You just knew he would be kind of. But the thing that is disappointing is we trying to track down a pass where they've completed it, where the, the ball traveled in the air like 30, 40 yards, a guy caught it on their own. You know, I don't think we've seen that play yet. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, they've tried to do it with Tommy Hill. You wonder how much Tommy is even going to – his reps were going up at receiver, but then you get have the injury to Singleton at safety, which forces a domino reaction there, you know, and I think Hill's going to play more defense. And so – I don't know if he'll be used as much at receiver. We'll see. Uh, but, yeah, I, I'm with you. That's the spot. 
I think going into the season, they were really hopeful with some of the speed guys they they had that there would be someone who developed that niche. And I may could be a Jalen Lloyd type player who maybe at the end of the year we look at his stat sheet and he's only caught like six or seven passes, but they've been high volume plays or he's had like a 55 yard touchdown mix in there. That can still happen. This is we're entering the part of the season where Nebraska's got to make hay and it's got to start hay and. If, if they win Friday and you look at the schedule, there's a chance for an October run and get people buzzing a little bit. But um, it would be nice to spring one or two of those plays to keep a defense honest um, and let them know you can do it. We're talking with Brian Christopherson of Husker 24-7. BC, you kind of mentioned uh, the Deshaun Singleton injury a little bit there. Obviously, there's the Luke Reimer injury as well. There sounds like maybe you're going to get Cam Lenhart back this week. Um I guess not just against Michigan, obviously, where you're missing all three of those guys, but what is the impact of especially Deshaun Singleton and and Luke uh, Reimer being out in, I guess, moving forward? Because it sounds like at least for Singleton it's going to be a multi-week thing. Yeah, I was crushed for Singleton because he's a guy who I thought through the first four games of the year was playing – as at high a level as anybody on the defense. Mm-hmm. And he he really just had complete control on that back end. It felt like him and Omar Brown had developed a chemistry right off the bat, which isn't easy to do sometimes at the safety spot um, where you're working together. And you, you weren't seeing, like, a lot of plays where they just lost coverage, right? You know, where it was just a, a lot of the guy wide open. They did have a couple they got away with a week or two ago. But – that's really tough because he's such a physical safety too. Like come and remember the hit he had in the home game two weeks ago where he, a TFL, Mm -hmm. he just blows a guy up. He's not afraid to hit. Um, So I think it's a a lot's going to fall on Phelan Sanford. Um, It looks like he could be the guy who starts there. He's a veteran guy who knows the stuff inside and out as much as anybody on this roster. He's also, uh, we can, joke about it however you want about it you your jokes about jim rat whatever he's more than that he's a great athlete he's just a freak he's a freak athlete when they do the winter testing stuff he's like top five or ten athletes so phelan sanford's got some skills but they have to show up and be a good player and then uh you know gifford and those guys are just going to have to play at a really high level quinton newsome is a guy who i think to show he's one of the top corners in the big 10 now you're in that play full that you know the conference play full grind go out and shut one day this week like take an isaiah williams from illinois out of the game um it's got to be stuff like that from your your best players being your best players again like rule said bc in those defensive back spots you mentioned phelan sanford there's also um you know some guys that maybe we haven't seen a ton of yet in like a Corey collier or an ethan nation um, do you expect we might see some more of those guys as well? I know we've started to see more Kobe Bretts. Um, do you think we might yeah. start to see them maybe searching a little bit, or do you think they're going to kind of settle in on Sanford? Uh, I don't think they're going to search too far beyond the guys that we've seen. Um, I think they like Ethan Nation, by the way. Um, but I don't know if he might be a four-game guy who um, plays some special teams. I think he's sort of on that. This is not a bad place to be as a first-year freshman, by the way, to be like on the fringe of like the two deep. That's a pretty good spot. That means you're you're tracking right. But I think that's where Ethan Nation is. The guy who 
could pop up is DeAndre Barnes, but I still think there's a little room to grow there. He's the backup uh, rover now. He's kind of seeing what Sanford was when Sanford moved over to P. Singleton. So he would be one to watch. But other than that, I think it's the guys you've got. And, and let's be honest, rotate 20-plus players on defense. So it, it, there's still a lot of guys, even with a couple out, that have played a lot of snaps. And mm-hmm. so I think they're going into this game believing, hey, everybody who's going to be out there Friday night, They've played a lot of football on this team, and they've played it at, at good levels at times. So let's just continue that. Let's go with confidence. And uh, and Sanford is a guy who is he's a veteran. He's, he's been around, and he, he knows his stuff. He'll, I, I think he's the, the type of player, if you're in a pickle like this, you kind of want to have on your side. Brian, I want to bring up one of the points that Matt Rule said that I think stuck out to the entire state of Nebraska and saying that you'll find out about this team on Friday. Yeah. What did you take from that in what he meant, and was it the right move to say that? You're kind of putting a lot of a lot of eggs in one basket. <laughs> no, I got you. I, I like it myself, but yeah, it is a it's a big um, like better you better hit the over the bar, you know, on this. But I think it was a challenge to his team. Now, you know, I'm sure it sounded like that message was delivered first off right away in the locker room because guys in the post game who came up following rules sort of were already aware whenever the question asked you tell it had already been brought up uh to them um so i i just think it's like hey let let this isn't acceptable what was out there saturday yeah michigan's a great football team but it it should never be at the university of nebraska i think is the main point where it's 14 nothing seven minutes into a game and the entire stadium feels like uh, what am i doing here you know mm-hmm. and that's how it was on saturday it just then we can't spin it any other way like you you knew and i knew and they knew was the biggest problem that after the Herg pick and the touchdown that followed, okay, what's the score on this going to be? You know, like, can Nebraska avoid a shutout, you started to think, by the middle second quarter? It's stuff like that where you got to immediately, I think, change your uh, team's tune and be like, Friday. We got a game on Friday. And by the way, it's the biggest game. To me, the game has always been one of the biggest games on Nebraska's schedule. And I know we were so trained through our years of Husker football watching to think like, oh, it's the Michigan game or it's this game. Right now for this program, it's Illinois, it's Northwestern, it's Purdue. This stretch of games that's coming up where Nebraska has to get on the right side of the scoreboard for that progress toward winning six games being a postseason team. So I think um, I, I like the challenge to his team, but you are right in how you frame that question because <laughs> let's say it's a 5-17 loss or something like that um, Friday night. Of course, there's going to be a lot of spin back. And, right. Uh, well, what about the comment last week? Yeah. So, yeah. Sometimes you got to do that to your your, your squad, and, and you, they continue that message on Sunday. It's like, hey, put the pads on. It's a full practice on let's go you know sort of deal so i think you saw that the tone like that was going to be throughout this week we saw it like within 10 minutes after the game bc looking to friday and illinois kind of in a more specific way um that's obviously an illinois team that has really struggled at times this year uh barely beat toledo really struggled against kansas uh, obviously got beat kind of in the similar manner against Penn State that Nebraska did to uh, to Michigan. What are you expecting to see from them in a team that's gone from the best defense in the country last year to 
the worst defense in the conference this year. I guess where is your head at as you try and figure out what what Illinois is going to look like? Um, they're they're searching much. So their offensive coordinator's already taken his share of heat. Um, if they don't have a ton of weapons themselves, I William a dangerous player, but their running back situation. Sort of like Nebraska. These teams could look in the mirror, maybe. It's, it's the old Spider-Man meme or whatever. Um, they don't have a lot of, um, I think, Reggie Love, who is a name Nebraska fans know about, I think he's been dinged up. Altmeyer is a dual-threat QB, so you have to respect that a little bit. They're giving up four sacks a game, though. And so th- that's an area where Nebraska's got to get right. You know, like, in, and Tony White was asked about it the other day. The Huskers had 14 sacks. I think the first three weeks were right up there in the top 10 or something. And, yes, it's sometimes style play you're dealing with on the other offensive side and getting the ball out quick. But Nebraska just hasn't put heat on QBs. And you heard Tony White say some of that's on him. Like, I got to be more aggressive. I got to trust these guys uh, to get home in those situations. So that could be an interesting dynamic if they if they dial up a few more things there. They need to get heat on them. The turnover margin will be, of course, as it always is, but both teams are minus six like mm. going in. They have the, they're both at the bottom of the barrel there. Uh, so it is very much a game of two teams who have had a similar, I think, first month. Um, I don't know who inside their walls is actually feeling better about themselves than the other side. I don't know if anybody is, but <laughs> the, this, this is a type of game where um, yeah, you need to jump out and probably right away. Have some confidence. Have that first possession that looks good off the script, and and put a little heat on a team that uh, is doubting themselves on the other too. Uh, BC, I, I'm glad you brought up Tony White and kind of some of his comments because it sounded like he was saying yesterday that, um, as you mentioned, he needed to kind of do better. It, we had talked a lot about. Um, you know, guys playing to not lose or playing not to make a mistake versus to actually make a winning play. Did it kind of feel like to you the way that Tony White was maybe a little bit more conservative on some of his pressures that he was almost falling in that same camp too? He sort of alluded to that, I thought, yesterday. It sounded like he kind of thought that, yeah. And also, I mean, that's just – I think that's a a coach – we don't actually see it actually, but I'd appreciate when coaches just say – if we're going to start with the peak, start with me, you know, that's mm-hmm. always the best way to do it. And, um, you know, they were getting a lot of, a lot of love. There's a lot of sunshine on that going into that game. I honestly thought that they were probably in a better position as a defense to test Michigan, not like they're going to dominate them or anything like that, but I thought they would make Michigan sweat and really work for it. And obviously that didn't happen. So I was a little surprised by that, but you got to take your medicine you got also, I think, got to make those guys believe, hey, you still are a really good defense. And you saw some of that going back to rules comments again, like, hey, you're a defensive football team. Take that, wear that badge and uh, own that because um, you can be the group that leads us. We're going to trust you to team and play field position and all that stuff. So, um, but yeah, White's comments were interesting. And I do, I am curious what that means as far as pressures and who that involves and all that stuff. I think Prince will is a young guy to watch this week. He's been coming on, and I think his role could be a little bit bigger at that jack spot. So if you're looking for freshman guys that give you a little hope and a little bounce, uh, Prince Will would be one of them perhaps. Uh, BC, real quick uh, on that, 
Is it too linear to say, hey, Cam Lenhart's been out for two games, they haven't got a sack in two games? Like, How much does that correlate with Tony White talking about how they need to get pressure with four guys? How much easier is that when Cam Lenhart's yeah. one of those four guys? Well, I think it's definitely easier. I mean, even though he's such a young player, we saw in that Colorado game what a problem he can be. And I know Colorado's O-line has, has struggled itself in pass pro at times. But, um, I mean, that sack out of Shadir Sanders when it was just, like, grabbed him by the jersey. It was, <laughs> it was I mean, that was like a like a next-level play. guy who's 18 years old. So um, everybody has said since he got here, he's older than his years. Um, he, he acts like it. He plays like it. And so he's hopefully for Nebraska that guy who um, gives the offensive line and the offense one other thing to think about. And maybe that helps someone else get home too. Like maybe he causes a problem and it's got to be teamwork. It's got to be three or four guys collapsing that thing. And you definitely got to keep on an eye on this QB because he can get loose and run for 15 yards and move the chains on you that way. And that can burn you just as much. So this will be an interesting test with the QB they're going against. He's not a great player. Uh, but he can be good enough to give you a headache if you're if you're not on your P's and Q's. Brian, I want to pose this question. Which phase of Nebraska needs to be the best, whether that's offense, defense, or special teams, for Husker fans to be satisfied regardless of score? I think a win is ideal, obviously, in everyone's mind, and it probably will feel like a failure if it's not a win. Yeah. But which phase of the game needs to be the best for Nebraska? I like how you asked that question because you posed it from to satisfy the fans. And I think to that particular question, it's actually offense. Like, I feel like they need this is a fan base that needs to see something there where it's like, oh, that I see it. That looks like it can be something that carries over that that's uh, portable into after the bye week. You know, some of that stuff. Maybe the QB situation sort of has final answer this Friday. Like, let's say Harburg does start. And they goes in there and he looks really good and they win the game. Are you going to make a change after that? I don't know. That seems like pretty tough to do. So some of these things that have sort of just swirled in the wind, I think you could put to bed by just a solid performance where you don't turn the ball over. You get the running game going. Anthony Grant, for whatever the ups and downs of his career have been, he's got to be just big the next weeks. Like he's got to be that guy who has ball security and he makes a couple plays. He's good on third down and his pass pro stuff. Um, everybody, um, you know, you, you earlier was asked about like the weapons or like the four or five guys on this team. Anthony Grant should have been the, like top of the list. He got him good. And, um, you know, beyond that, can Fleeks give him something? You know, there's these little wild cards that got to pop up and be useful. Jay Lloyd suddenly like, oh, he made a 32 yard play, you know, and it gets everybody buzzing on Twitter. That sort of stuff has to happen, I think, to get some of these wins in October. Brian Christofferson, Husker 24-7. We appreciate your time as always. We'll talk to you next week, BC. Yeah, yeah thanks for having me, guys. That is our friend Brian Christofferson from Husker 24-7. Coming up next, we're going to talk to Kevin Suits from 1011 News in Lincoln here on Herd at Sports Radio. Herd at Sports presents the Damon Benning Show with Ravi Lula. Oh, well, you get to get back at it. You don't have to, you know, walk around doom and gloom. You don't have time to do that. So you got to, you know, as soon as that game's over, 
uh, heads, you know, head down and just start working uh, for the next game. It's going to get on us quick, which I think that's a good thing. Our guys are ready and had uh, two really good days of practice and competition. We're halfway through the show here on a Wednesday, which is halfway through your week on Herd at Sports Radio. I'm Ravi Lula. That's Anna Bellinghausen. Joining us now on the Warhorse Sportsbook hotline is our friend Kevin Suits, 1011 News in Lincoln. Kevin, how are you today? I'm doing well. Good morning to you guys. Good morning. Hey, I want to start off a little outside of Nebraska, outside of Lincoln. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. You're a Heisman voter, correct? That is correct, yeah. Okay, so I'm not going to ask you to give away any tips. I know they get you in trouble here. But as you're kind of watching through almost the halfway point of the season, how are you kind of evaluating some of the top guys? Obviously, we had J.J. McCarthy, who maybe is a little under the radar for the Heisman this year. Obviously, you've got your uh, repeat contender in Caleb Williams out at USC. Uh, Just how do you kind of weigh the – best player versus most valuable to his team versus just maybe the best guy on the best team like how do you process through that whole uh, Heisman voting deal I one of the things I put a lot of value in is a way, having a winning team mm-hmm. being a team that wins and that's where for me evaluating the Heisman race is a little challenging right now because uh, some teams are not playing the beefiest of schedules to this point of the season. <laughs> Conference play will really ramp up here sure. uh, over the next couple of months, and I think that's where you truly get a gauge. And that's what's fascinating about uh, some Heisman voting is you know, it goes down to the last week, if not two weeks, because there are critical games as teams contend to get into the playoff. And so if you can lead your team to a win that ensures a spot in the playoff, uh, obviously, I feel that those individuals should definitely get, uh, I, I don't want to say special treatment, but you should weigh that pretty heavily sure. as you look at all the players across college football. Right now, stats are stats. Everybody has good stats. You know, coming out of September, uh, you have an idea who the upper crust is in college football, but it's really going to crystallize here, I think, as this month wears on and then November, I think, is where you see some separation. And when you talk about this Heisman voting, I'm just curious about the close win versus loss situation. How do you look at that as you evaluate the talent, too, especially when you look at the SEC and how close these teams are? Do you look at the losses, too, and evaluate there? Anna, that's a great question. I I say yes, you have to. Uh, Can you win in a big moment, though? You know, close win, well, what what was the nature of it? Like Sam Hartman, that was a Heisman moment of mm-hmm. what he did against Duke this past Saturday. Uh, and, and he's a guy that's right now in consideration. And you might look back at the end of the year and say, you know what, that guy came through in the clutch with a ridiculous run, and it gave his team the win. Now, you also have to evaluate what the schedule looked like because some teams might have a Heisman contender, but they might not play a, a tough schedule, and they might not have a big high-stakes game. Um, so sometimes they get dinged for a situation like that. Um, but I, I think you certainly have to uh, take a pretty critical eye towards those close games and the blowouts. Who are they against, and what are you doing against the best competition? Uh, Kevin, I want to move on to Nebraska here uh, as there's a game in, in just a couple days. It uh, feels like it really – it's only a day earlier, but it feels like it really creeps up on you a little bit uh, with that Friday game. 
there's been a lot said between uh, Coach Rule, Coach Satterfield, and Coach White over the last couple days. Uh, has there been anything from the coaches that has really stood out to you? Because I think they've kind of dropped some nuggets that, that I think are interesting. They've dropped some nuggets, but beyond the context of what they've said the last couple of days, days guys, the manner in which they've spoken, that has struck me because it, they're not playing nice anymore, I get the sense. Like, there's some urgency there. I know Matt Rule's all about patience and long-term and uh, building the foundation to, to hold for a long period of time, but I get the sense that, man, that loss to Michigan, it is not sitting well first with the coaching staff, and then secondly, uh, these players seemed a little bit more irritable than we've seen them over the past uh, couple of weeks. I don't know if that goes because of the nature of Sunday's practice and that's setting the tone for this week or not, mm. but I, I just think that all of a sudden I, they seem feisty. They seem edgy, and even more so than we saw prior to the Colorado game uh, or even before the season opener. I, I just get a different tone out of this team um, and it's interesting because I thought, you know, Matt Rule, slow build. It's going to be kind of go through the motions of this season, see what happens. But all of a sudden, I think it's kind of flipped over the past 72 hours. Kevin, do you think Nebraska needed that? I think so. You know, um, especially given the situation that they have with some of the injuries, you know, like they're down to uh, – they're out two running backs. Uh, Isaiah Garcia Castaneda being out at wide receiver. It's thrusting some of the younger guys to play. So not only be on the field for some of the reserves, but now now we got to perform. And the coaches are really wanting to see some progress here. Um, don't know what it will translate to on Friday night against this Illinois team. But overall, I think maybe from an optics standpoint, this might have been good for the fans to hear, you know, some feet being held to the fire. And for Matt Rule, uh, first and foremost, to say, listen, I'm not okay with this, and I want to get it right now. We're talking with Kevin Suits, the sports director at 1011 News in Lincoln. Um, as you kind of look to, are you going out to Champaign on Friday? I will not, unfortunately. Uh, this is the first time uh, Nebraska and Illinois have played as members of the conference that I've not made that trip. Obviously, me among uh, all the media corps, this is my favorite trip. I grew up about 30 minutes from Memorial Stadium in Champaign. So uh, I know all the right places to eat and visit when, when I'm there, but this week I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay home and be a dad on Saturday and enjoy some college football too. Okay, so I have to ask, when you were living around the area, did Fat Sandwich exist at that point? No, I Fat Sandwich. Yeah, are you not aware of Fat me. Sandwich? No. It's exactly what it sounds like. It's a sandwich place in Champaign where you can put – just about anything you can imagine on a sandwich. Uh, you can put like mozzarella sticks, jalapeno poppers, like some chicken tendies on there. Like anything you can think of, they have and you can put on a sandwich. It's a remarkable achievement of mankind. Mmm, this smells uh, delish. It sounds very healthy or not. <laughs> uh, wow, that, that's amazing. I, I'm not aware of that. Uh, I, I will say every time I go back, like, the, the campus and the whole area continues to evolve mm -hmm. the development there. And if, if, if anybody's listening that's going, you know, spend some time in Campus Town. It's its own town yeah. outside of Champaign-Urbana, and there is so much activity, especially with it being a Friday game, the student life and activity uh, around the area. I, I presume it's going to be 
it's going to be pretty electric, you know. I don't know if Memorial Stadium will be, but I think Friday afternoon or evening uh, on a campus like Champaign, it could be pretty fun. It certainly can. Um, I I have to say, I, I've only had Fat Sandwich when I was in my early 20s and had a decent amount to drink, so I, I think it's really good. <laughs> At least I did at the time. But just keep that in mind if you try it and you're like, what is this guy talking about? Um. <laughs> well, I've, I've always said that the, the go-tos are like their version of Misty's is the ribeye. They have wonderful pizza and champagne. Monocles is a personal favorite. Oh, I've been to and Monocles. Jarling, I like Monocles. Yeah. yeah. Jarling's Custard Cup. It's about a stone throw from Memorial Stadium. It's ice cream. One of its co-owners is Tom Hanks. He's even invested in it. It's a wonderful place for a sweet treat on a game day. Kevin, real quick before we let you go, uh, how is the high school football scene looking in Lincoln this weekend? Uh, Southwest plays a Thursday game, homecoming. They've got South Sioux City, I think, a chance for them to win. And shout-out for Lincoln Northwest. They're still seeking the program's first-ever win. They welcome 0-6 Lexington. History could be on the horizon for the Falcons. That's not what you expected me to say, but that's what I'm going with today, Robbie. <laughs> Kevin, hey, I love it. Let's make some history, Lincoln Northwest. Let's see what happens. Uh, Kevin, we appreciate your time as always. We'll talk to you again later. All right. Thank you so much. Have a great week. That's Kevin Suits on the Warhorse Sportsbook hotline. Uh, a reminder, Warhorse Sportsbook is the best place in Nebraska to go place your sports bets. You have to place them in person at the Warhorse Sportsbook Casino. Plenty of kiosks, sportsbook tellers to take your wagers, or if you want to kind of do it a little less in person, go ahead and get the app. You still have to go down to the casino, but you can build your bet on the app, scan the QR code, and place your wager there. Warhorse Sportsbook, no bets, no glory. Uh, really appreciate Kevin Suits there joining us. Coming up next, we're going to have our friend Marty Cordero talk a little Union Omaha as they've got a match tonight at Warner Stadium. All that coming up more. All that and more coming up on Herd at Sports Radio. Herd at Sports presents the Damon Benning Show with Ravi Lula. Welcome back as we wrap, wrap up our number two here on Herd at Sports Radio. I'm Robbie Lula. That's Canna Bellinghausen. We are joined now by our dear friend, Marty Cordero. You know him from the Omaha Storm Chasers, from Union Omaha. Marty, how are you this morning? Robbie, good morning. How you doing? Oh, we're doing terrific. Excited. Both of us will be out at Warner Park tonight. So we are we're getting jazzed up and ready to go, man. Yeah, it sounds great. Hello, Anna. How are you? Good, Marty. Excited to come out and see a Union Omaha match finally this season. Well, you know, it's been quite the run for the club. 11-game uh, unbeaten streak. Uh, obviously, our 10-game win streak ended last week when we uh, tied at North Carolina. But the team is, is right there. Destiny is in our hands. We win the final three. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll hold the top seed again for the second time in four years. And uh, Dominic Casciato really has this team playing well. And uh, tonight, our final home regular season match, 6.30 kick. And, you know, it's, uh, it's going to be a great night. The sun's out. The rain came in a day early. And tonight's going to be a fantastic night at Warner Park. Yeah, so, Marty, as you mentioned, 
uh, your destiny firmly in your hands. You're just one point out of first place in USL uh, one standings behind uh, North Carolina and Northern Colorado. Um, how big, I mean, this win streak has really catapulted you into uh, this really unique opportunity. How's it been to just kind of watch uh, match by match as you've put your, been able to put yourselves in this position? Yeah, you know, with the new system, uh, new head coach, half the team being new, we knew early in the year it was going to be a little bit of a, a learning process, growing process. Mm -hmm. And you know, once the squad got past April, May, we could see some things starting to click. And, you know, I'm, I'm not engaged on the soccer technical side uh, on a day-by-day -day basis, uh, but uh, our GM, Peter Marlett, uh, Dominic Cassiato, head coach, and his assistants, uh, Kevin and Ladule really have done a great job of, of finding players that would fit the system, and it just took it just took a little time, uh, you know, for for everything to come together, and it has been awesome, you know, watching watching the progression, and and I've said this uh, in other interviews, I think not having a deep run in the U.S. Open Cup mm -hmm. actually helped us uh, because it it allowed the team to focus on the regular season table and the regular season matches, and while it was fun last year, uh, going deep. Uh, we also ran out of gas uh, in the USL League One side. So uh, I I'm excited about tonight, final two uh, road matches, and then playoff, which we will host at home on either Saturday the 21st or Saturday the 28th here in a couple weeks. I mean, for this team and just in general how young this organization is, how impressive is it for you, Marty, just to watch it all come to fruition and have a first-year head coach being able to implement these players and new coaching staff members and still having a great team and getting to the playoffs, getting to where you want to be? How impressive is that for you to watch? And it's impressive. You know, I don't want to dismiss the, the question, but, you know, Gary Green, our ownership, uh, and myself as club president, our expectation is is for us to execute on and off the field. So whether it's selling tickets, uh, whether it's on either sport, baseball or soccer, uh, and in this case soccer, or whether it's winning on the field, you know we give uh, you know our coaching staff and, and our, our soccer technical the tools uh, to be the top squad in League One each year. Not going to happen every year, but it's our expectation. It's our expectation to be at the top and, and compete for a championship each year. Uh, you know, it's unrealistic to think we're going to win every year, but to compete, yes. And, you know, it's, it's no different from, from what we do on the baseball side. Uh, Marty, from a, as we kind of wrap up, as you mentioned, the final regular season home game tonight at Warner Park, um, I guess just overall, how has this season gone for you with Union Omaha in terms of uh, fan engagement and attendance? Anna and I were talking a little bit earlier about how uh, the Union Omaha fans are kind of a different breed. How has that gone from your side of things? You know, it continues to grow. Uh, this year started slowly, quite honestly. We had our first two matches at UNO, uh, and generally when we play off-pitch uh, from away from Warner Park, the attendance is different. Uh, mm -hmm. It's not as high. It's a different atmosphere. Uh, and, and no, Warner Park is not a soccer-specific facility, <laughs> but it is, it is our home facility, and our team is built uh, for the size pitch that we have. It's built for the turf. It's built for what we do at Warner Park, uh, just like, you know, when we are able to in the future uh, have a soccer-specific facility, our team will be built a little different at that time. So it started slow off the field, but as the season has gone on, uh, you know, we've had some, some great walk-up crowds. We've had crowds in the 4,000s, and, you know, we're anticipating not only a good crowd tonight, 
with the sun being out, but also come October, we're really excited to, to have the fans come out to Warner Park and support this OWL squad. So I think I need to pose the biggest question of the show so far. It's the return of the Hoot Juice for Fan Appreciation Night, one of the greatest drinks over at Warner Park. <laughs> Where was inspiration for this? Uh, you know, I wish I could take some credit for, for Hoot Juice, but uh, you know, we, we challenge our, our food and beverage partner, Oakview Group, and a couple of years ago, Ryan Slane, who, who was our long-term general manager who, was, uh, who moved on to, to other things with Oakview Group, but they came up with this Volt Color Adult Juice Pouch that hangs around your neck, and uh, we we have been bombarded with where the heck is Hoot Juice this year? So Hoot Juice is back tonight uh, on the same night that we will do our first ever premium giveaway. So the first 1,000 fans, courtesy of Nebraska State Soccer Association, will get a Rashid Nuhu bobblehead. So if you want a Rashid Nuhu bobblehead, first thousand fans, gates open at 5.30 tonight. But yeah, I think once the bobbleheads are given away, and once people set set in for, for, for kickoff, Hoot Juice, I think, will be uh, the beverage of choice tonight, Anna. Great question. Well, I think it's going to be the beverage of choice for me, for sure. <laughs> I'm going recreationally, not for work. So I can't have any, unfortunately, I tonight. was going to say, Anna's working. I'm just there for the vibes. <laughs> I'm going to get me some Hoot Juice. Um, <laughs> Marty, I, I want to shift uh, focus a little bit here for a second. Um, I know the Storm Chasers recently wrapped up uh, their season and uh, were done with their homestand a little bit ago. Um, but just curious how uh, the Storm Chasers did this year in terms of uh, how you've continued to try and grow that brand as well. Yeah, you know, this is our first growth year since COVID. You know, 21, we were just just trying to get back to playing. Uh, and, and it was a weird year because we started late. Uh, we had restrictions, mask restrictions, capacity restrictions that were sent down uh, from uh, New York, uh, things that we really had, were handcuffed pretty much most of that season. Mm-hmm. Last year was, our, was a year to get back to normal, and this year we grew. Our group sales came back. We set an all-time high uh, sponsorship record. Uh, season tickets sold. We're in the top three since we've been at Warner Park. And we saw in-park uh, attendance growth uh, that we haven't had really since 2018. So a lot, of, a lot of positives. And, you know, you say all that in spite of the challenges that we had on the field. Uh, it was a really tough year mm-hmm. uh, the, for the Royals in Kansas City, which translates to a lot of transactions and not a lot of stability with the roster. So Mike Gershley did uh, what he could this year. Uh, the team, I tell you, I really applaud them. They were competitive down the stretch. Uh, even being shorthanded on some nights uh, simply because of the continued roster moves. But we're optimistic. You know, if you look at the Royals at the end of the year, they won 10 out of 11 at one point. They ended up finishing the year winning 12 of 16. And, you know, we're, 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 we're optimistic that that's the squad that's going to be competitive next year, which will hopefully allow from st- for some stability here in Omaha. But, you know, it's been a great partnership with the Royals, mm-hmm. 50, you know, five seasons since 1969. And, you know, we're looking for forward to – season 56 that will kick off in unusual fashion when we first play regular season baseball in March for the first time ever. Uh, so that, that should be very interesting uh, next year. Marty, uh, Anna was telling me about this photo of you at Rosenblatt Stadium on as the stadium was closing. I didn't realize that you had been involved with the team so long. I thought you were too young for that. <laughs> well, <laughs> Uh, maybe I hide that with my boyish looks, but no, I, I've been 
Been here 17 years. First four years of uh, my my stay, our family stay here, was uh, the last four years of Rosenblatt. So I was very fortunate to be a part of that, uh, not only shutting it down, but uh, being able to help create the future or, or guide the path forward for Warner Park. And, you know, um, yeah, it was a great, great time of, of, of trying to figure out where the franchise was going to go and then negotiating with Sarpy County amongst other municipalities, ultimately locating you know, uh, where we are at uh, Highway 360, excuse me, Highway 370 and, and, and 120th Street. So, you know, we're we're fortunate to have landed where we are, but that photo she's talking about was taken by our good friend Brad Williams, who takes so many great Omaha mm-hmm. skyline shots and sports shots, and he just happened to catch me. Uh, <laughs> yes, on the bricks uh, in the at, at the entryway at, at Rosenblatt, and you know, that was the culmination of a lot because uh, we knew what was happening. The facility was being built at Warner Park, but it was incumbent upon us since we were the last baseball played there mm-hmm. and because we were the first baseball played there. Rosenblatt was built for professional baseball, not for the College World Series. So mm-hmm. we felt it very important in 2010 to make sure we closed down Rosenblatt the right way from a baseball perspective. And, you know, our partnership with the City of Omaha, specifically uh, Jesse Cuevas, uh, and, and his grounds crew and Susan Buskell and our operations staff were very important. And, you know, we ended up digging up home plate, sending it to Cooperstown and some other artifacts, you know, from that last game. Uh, and at that time, it was the only it was the only items from a minor league stadium that were in Cooperstown. And, and they remain there. So, yeah, that was that was a pretty special year. And that photo was uh, indicative of that year as well. Well, Marty, we appreciate all that you do, not just for us, but for professional sports here in Omaha and in the uh, metro area. Are there any tickets remaining for tonight? Can people get out there if they want to still? Yeah, go to unionomaha.com. That's unionomaha.com. You can purchase there. And then the ticket office will open this morning about 10 a.m. And that's 402-738-5100 for the Warner Park ticket office. Come join us, though. Parking lot opens about uh, 3.30 today. They'll be tailgating with Omaha Parliament and gates open at 5.30. Robbie, see you tonight. Anna, see you tonight at the park as well. Marty, you're the man. We appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon. Heard at Sports presents the Damon Benning Show with Robbie Lula. Yeah, it, just, it, just, it speeds everything up. You know what I mean? You don't get the luxury of, of really – taking that extra day to, to put that last game to bed and then say, okay, uh, have the day to go and look. You, 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 you merge the two days, you know, putting it, damn near putting it away right from the get-go and then turning, turning the, the next game. And I thought it was, it was really cool to watch because not only did Coach, I think, do that, to make sure, like, hey, there's going to be a standard that 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 on Saturday was not acceptable. That's not that that's not the way it's going to be around here. Period. But also in the sense of like going out there and doing those things, like brought us back to making sure we take care of what we need to take care of. Because that's that's it, right? I mean, that offense, defense, special teams. We got to do what we what we do. We got to play to our standards. And I said it last week. Regardless of who the hell the opponent is. We got to do things a certain way to give ourselves a chance to win. So going out there and doing it and remind ourselves that it does not matter who we're playing. It is about us doing what we're the hell, what we're supposed to do so that way we can go do it. On the grass. 
Doing it on the grass. Uh, hour number three of Herd Out Sports Radio with Robbie Lula and Anna Bellinghausen uh, coming at you and powered by our friends at Cornhead Lager, the perfect beer to enjoy while watching your favorite game. Uh, every purchase helps support the Nebraska NIL through the 1890 initiative. Uh, I want to actually do it when the lights are on, right? How dare you, Shane? Um, I wanted to do a little, instead of a, a game, a lot of times we'll do a little game here on Wednesdays. Um, I want to do a little get to know you segment because this is your first kind of full radio show with yeah. her that. And this is about 10 times longer than we've ever spoken uh, combined. That's fair. So. <laughs> this is as much for my benefit as it is the audience's uh, that we can get to know each other a little bit here. But it is still brought to you by our friends at Dingman's Collision Center. Uh, they've been in business for 25 years here in Omaha. 18 of those years and running, they've been first place, best of Omaha, family owned and operated. And they've got the latest technology to work on whatever make and model that you have. And maybe the reason we love them the most, they give back to the community with every car repaired. Go to dingmans.com to learn more but now it's time to learn more about anna and to learn more about ravi do you want to go first or you want me to go first um i'll go first okay i'll let's hit you do with it. one first let's do it i'm ready to go so ravi asked me to put together some questions he said sports related or not so very broad yeah whatever <laughs> he just said basically just have some questions ready whatever you want to ask <laughs> this is like a this is like a little uh heard at sports radio ama so okay. here we go so my first one for you yes who was the first sports poster you remember having on your wall as a kid Ooh. Who's that person? Sports athlete. Poster. I'm assuming it was an athlete. It, actually, I'll open it up even further. If it was a band, an uh, artist. No, it was definitely a sports uh, poster. I'm trying to remember which one was first. I think. I th so I think my Ken Griffey Jr. one was later. I was a big Ken Griffey Jr. guy. Um, I had a poster of Herbie Husker pretty early. Um, he's an athlete. I think so. He looks athletic. <laughs> he's a, he's a Nebraska athlete for sure. Um, I also had a, I think a dream team poster is my earliest. There is a, uh, there was a poster with original the, dream team. Yeah. Original dream team, 1992. Uh, I believe my grandma got it for me. Shout out grandma Jackie. Um, I believe it was a Dream Team poster. Okay, wow. Do you remember yours? I think mine was Adrian Peterson. <laughs> okay. <laughs> AD. He was my guy. Okay. Are you a big Vikings fan? Oh, yeah. Big Vikings fan. Okay. All right. I'm sorry about that. Yeah, but it's tough. It, listen, it's all right. It's, it's hard out here. You're a Bucks fan. Or, or no. Who's your who's Niners. your team? Niners, Niners. 49ers, which yeah. I I love Brock Purdy, so I appreciate that. Yeah, no, I I love Brock Purdy now too. I think he's the best. <laughs> oh, I'm <laughs> so. sure you're on the Brock train now, huh? Oh, without a doubt, I love it. It's terrific. Um, okay, so here's my first one for you. This one, let's ease you into it a little bit here. Uh, what's the what's your favorite thing you've done working for her at? Oof, man. Okay, so it's definitely between the College World Series and March Madness, but. Because the College World Series obviously is in Omaha every year, mm. I'll go March Madness and seeing Creighton go to the Elite Eight. Okay. That to cover was 
absolutely phenomenal oh, and yeah. just seeing the emotions and the elation on the faces the coaches and the players after covering them throughout the entire year and watching them go through a six game losing streak and yeah being kicked out of the top 25 right so that was one of the coolest moments maybe of my life too it was it was amazing to see well it was one of the my favorite things in my life as well because I've been a Creighton fan my whole life so uh and we might get to talk a little bit of Creighton here uh at maybe 9 30 because I know you've been covering practice as well um but that's a that's a terrific uh that's a terrific answer uh what's your next one if you could have a jersey swap with any player in history who would it be any player in history so I'm probably my probably gonna go with my initial gut here um and go pedro martinez he's the reason i'm a red sox fan when i was a little kid um my one of my coaches one of my little league coaches just used to call me pedro martinez because i don't know he i was okay at little league and you know (laughs) like that's what coaches do right um and so i just really internalized that and became a huge red sox fan uh because of that so either pedro martinez or like kind of a weird deep cut here um, I love Ethan Rogge. Like, hmm. l- like my dog. Rogge bombs. My dog is named Rogge, one of them. Wow. <laughs> so, does he know that? Yes, he does. Okay. I actually interviewed him once. I was like, hey, I just want you to know. And if you have to put a restraining order on me, I understand this. <laughs> um, but what, one of my, I named one of my dogs after you. And he's like, no, that's actually awesome. Can you send me a picture of him? Uh, which I did. So It was well received. It was. Yeah, it was not. It was. But at least he pretended to receive it okay. well, at the very least, which I give him a lot of credit for. But so low key, if it's not Pedro Martinez, I would low key love uh, a Rocky jersey swap so I could put it up in in my dog Rocky's mm-hmm. room and he'd love it. But yeah, what about you? Jeez, just based on childhood and who like my baseball idol was, probably Alex Gordon. Okay, he sure. Was, he was yeah. my guy for sure for the Royals. Gordo, and, yeah. Um, but other than that, just favorite athlete, honestly, Tom Brady. Okay. All right. Big Tom Brady fan. So. Big Tom Brady. See, I kind of I like that. I like that you're not a Patriots fan, but you still appreciate Tom Brady, yep. because I'm kind of goat. I'm kind of the same way. Like I, you know, I've always kind of rooted for him. I liked that his story in terms of coming yes. up and and all that, and then he just turns himself into the greatest quarterback of all time. I've always appreciated Tom Brady, and there's a lot of people that don't feel that way if they're not Patriots fans they really hate him so uh I like that um okay this is a weird one (laughs) the doctor says you have a terrible medical condition which will leave you without any taste buds what is the last thing you eat before you lose your sense of taste 1000 percent steak getting the best steak okay so I need you to I need you to like let's narrow it down here is there like a place where like you get your favorite steak is there a specific cut you got some sides involved like let's Mm. get into this thing uh I would say I mean it's obviously gonna be a filet right okay uh steakhouse I'm a ribeye guy personally oh okay yeah uh big filet gal steakhouse I don't think is as important to me because i think a lot of steakhouses in nebraska have good steak and people fight about it all the time that i i wouldn't really make a decision there sure uh definitely mashed potatoes maybe some like asparagus okay all right like some grilled Um, asparagus yep some grilled asparagus for sure how are we cooking this thing Medium, rare. Okay, good medium, call. Medium, rare, good call. Um, for sure. If you'd gone anything over medium, we I might have left. That would have been weird, yeah, for sure. I might have left. Could have been awkward here. That's what my mom would have said. She'd been like, well done. 
thanks, mom. Uh, definitely medium rare. Absolutely. Uh, good decision. Cheese beyond that. I mean, you got to have a good dessert, too. It's like mm. a cheesecake. Okay. And then a glass of red wine. Okay. I kind of, I enjoy like a creme brulee after a steak. Ooh. It's a, you know, I'm a little fancy. I you like know. that, too. Uh, terrific. Uh, that's a good choice. Good choice overall there. Uh, what's your next one? My next one is, what's the best game you've attended and or watched on television? Ooh, okay. You can so let's answer do those both. separate. Yeah, yeah, let's do both. Um, so best and favorite are going to be different. Um, I think the best game I've ever watched on TV, this is a really weird one. Um, I think it was Boise State and Oklahoma in the Fiesta Bowl in... Adrian Peterson was in college. I want to say 2007 in that uh, that big upset that Boise mm-hmm. State had over Oklahoma. I watched that thing from start to finish. I think if I remember right, Boise State gets out to a big lead. Oklahoma comes back, takes the lead. Then you've got the hook and ladder and all the trick plays to get Boise State. That is just my random, one of my favorite games I've ever watched. Mm-hmm. And I just absolutely just love it. Just no, no tie to either yeah, team. Yeah, I, I mean, obviously I wanted Boise State to win because I was like, you know, it's fun for the underdog. And Boise State wasn't really like Boise State yet. They were kind of on the front end of that build. Mm-hmm. And it was just a really cool experience to sit there and watch this really iconic game play out um without having like sometimes it's not to have it's fun not to have the emotional attachment to a to a game because it's less stressful right right like i love Creighton basketball but there's i almost enjoy watching the other days of march madness more because i'm so stressed out when I'm like the whole day for Creighton basketball. Right. So when I just get to like sit back and like wait for buzzer beaters and stuff like that, I, I almost enjoy the experience more. Um, so that's probably like my favorite best game. My favorite game that I've ever watched. In person. In person. So there's two. Um, both are going to be Creighton here. Uh, Doug McDermott's senior night game was a, an incredible experience to watch happen. Um, needed 39 points to get to 3,000, goes out and scores 45. And the funniest thing is, is like everybody just assumed he was going to yeah. do it. It's like, yeah, he's going to drop a 40 burger. No big, <laughs> no big deal. It's like, that doesn't happen. Who does that anymore? Yeah. Like that's not a real thing. It's, and everyone's just like, yeah, he's going to get it tonight. And then he did. Um, everybody. That's maybe the most remarkable part of the whole thing. Um, so that was incredible. I was sitting right behind the Providence bench for that one. Uh, so that was a that was a great experience, and then low key, uh, when they clinched the when Creighton clinched the Big East Conference regular season title mm-hmm. against Seton Hall, yeah. um, that stretch of play in the last about third of the season for Creighton, I think, is the best basketball I've ever seen them play, uh, with Denzel Mahoney and DJ and Mitch Ballack and Tyshawn and Marcus Zagorowski and Christian Bishop, like they. The down the stretch of that season, they destroyed people. Mm-hmm. And they went on a run against a really good Seton Hall team with multiple pros and just dismantled them down the stretch. And I was, like, euphoric. Like, Did I you rush the court? I didn't because um, I was, again, I was sitting basically courtside, so I was like, nah. I'm You're pre- already on the court. I'm pretty close already. <laughs> uh, and so I that's, like, one of my happiest sports-watching moments was just – watching this thing that never even really seemed possible like Creighton winning a Big East title just 
that didn't even sound like a real thing for so long. And then to watch him do it in person was was pretty spectacular. Oh, yeah. What about you? I still get chills, first of all, with that game, too. Just, like, oh, watching yeah. the – whenever they play it, I'm like, whoa. I got chills throughout my body. I still Thank have you, it. Yeah, I still – I'll be honest. I probably watch it once a year, maybe once every six months. At least the second half because that stretch yeah. where they pull away from Seton Hall – is unbelievable. Plus, you got like DJ dunking on Mamu Kalashvili, give him the you're too small. De- I just I love that game. All right, for me, first watching, not in person, 2014 AL wild card game. Back in the days when it was just one game. Was that against the A's? So it was Royals A's. Yeah. Okay. Uh, absolutely electric. Is that the Kaufman John Lester Stadium. game? I think John Lester was starting for the. A's in that I'm not to pull up the box score, man. No, I don't know. No, you're okay. Go ahead. Um, I was I was just a, jeez, I think I was in probably my freshman year of high school okay. at that point. Yeah. And staying up all night watching it, and it was it was absolutely amazing. I mean, as a Royals fan, going through oh, all yeah. those years of not having any success in the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, not, I mean, not even getting to the playoffs, right? Like not even being no, competitive for the right, most not part. even getting there. Yeah. And then seeing those guys like Eric Hosmer, Mike Moustakis, go through Omaha yeah. and then get to Kansas City made it more special because hundred percent. You felt like you really did have a connection with those players. I mean, mm-hmm. Lorenzo Cain, Salvador Perez, all of those guys. I mean, that, Gordon, that, that Alex core, Gordon. Alex yeah. Gordon, those core group of guys that um, were built through through the minors, honestly, and made yeah. their way up together. It was super special. Well, and, and some of those guys, like uh, Lorenzo Cain, came over in the Granky trade with yep. Milwaukee in the first place, which was, I know, kind of in the moment, It's you, you kind of have these mixed feelings. You're like, this is one of the better players they've had in a long time but there's nobody else around him and to see that actually pay off too like the whole thing uh, was very satisfying even as a non-Royals fan right just seeing it come together was amazing because it's also just the beauty of small market baseball too and just a team like Kansas City doesn't matter the size of the market that they can win a World Series Mm -hmm. uh, in 2015 of course but um, that was just like okay it's possible yeah and childhood dream come true honestly, for sure for yeah 2014 and 15 uh, just seeing that success was awesome uh, and then we don't talk about anything that happened after that, <laughs> that the years be. after okay best game i saw in person was kansas duke here in omaha oh, Elite eight. that yeah. was awesome for 85 sure. 81 overtime kansas won okay yeah that's, that was that's terrific electric in omaha yeah absolutely that yeah that's a that's a ter- that's a great one to see in person. I'm much more of a homer, um, <laughs> but but that's I mean that's an all timer. Yeah, like no, that. I don't have ties to either of those teams either. But yeah. you just have to appreciate. Oh good yeah, when you're seeing at the point. highest level, yeah. yeah, and that's what I mean. I'm a at heart a basketball nerd over like everything else. Like I love mm-hmm. football. I grew up in Nebraska, obviously, so I love college football as much as anything. But like. I'm such a basketball nerd. Like just seeing it played at a super high level like that is incredible to me. Like I, I love that. So that's a that's a terrific. And answer. the fact that it was just in Omaha. Yeah. And they hosted the Elite Eight. Yeah. Pretty sweet. Like the you get to see a team go to the Final Four. Yeah. Like that's that's incredible. Um, all right. What is your favorite guilty pleasure movie or TV show? Hmm. Jeez, I'm trying to think of this one. Probably Love Island. Okay. Uh, it has zero substance, okay. but it is so entertaining to watch. Is and that the UK one? Yeah, the UK one. You okay. have to watch the UK. Yeah. Okay. The US right. one isn't it, but uh, Love Island UK. I mean, if you're just looking for some drama in your life that you don't have to deal with, totally watch fair. that show. I 
I do have a soft spot in my uh, in my heart for like trashy dating television. Yeah. Uh, and if you add in British accents, like I'm in. Oh yeah. I just love watching TV with British accents. I don't know why. Um, so I, I I feel you there. I do have a. I do have a, a little like Love Is Blind uh, soft spot in Kay. my heart, although first season was better than the rest of them. But whatever. Um, mine is prob. This is a this is a really bad one. I have low key seen every episode of One Tree Hill. Really? Yeah, I, I haven't. I don't know why. I it's not good. Hmm. Like I think what it was is I was so like sports obsessed when I was a kid that any show that had anything to do with sports no matter what was else it's was happening it's a basketball it, player i'm going to watch it yeah, like that's what you're exactly. thinking yeah exactly yeah like i was a dumb kid and so i was like it's a basketball show i was like no <laughs> it's not it's not it's a soap opera <laughs> 100% but low key yeah i i don't hate it but it's really bad Robbie my last one for you not about sports okay what's your favorite home cooked meal ooh uh so this is tricky because so my mom doesn't really cook. Um, she d- does some. Like, she has her things that she makes. She makes really good chili. Um, makes incredible Rice Krispie treats. Uh, but my dad did most of the cooking when I was growing up, and he's from India. So he used to make uh, a chicken curry that I was obsessed with. That's probably the one thing that I think of most in terms of, like, one of my parents cooking for me as a child. So uh, probably, and I used to... <laughs> He used to make a different version for my mom, who is from Iowa and has a different spice preference than uh, people. I would imagine those preferences <laughs> are a little different. Yeah, there's a, there's a bit of a... Salt and pepper versus everything else. Yes. Uh, so when you're watching basketball, do you think of that too? What? You know, because of curry? Well, not often. No. No, it's a different kind of curry, okay. Shane. Um, I was like, what are you talking about? I was so confused. <laughs> Spices during NBA <laughs> games? I was confused too, Shane. Uh, he brought it home, though. Okay. Uh, yeah, so probably probably chicken curry from my dad made the, I called it the Indian way. So, like, with the extra spices, not the, which is not kind the of, Iowa way. Yeah, which is kind of funny now because uh, my wife, who is uh, Midwestern, is, she has a way higher spice tolerance than I do now. Like I've gone the complete opposite direction where I was like, I just kind of want the like, you know, like the chilled out version. Uh, give me the Midwest version. And my wife will make me order her Indian food for her because if they see an Indian name on an order, <laughs> then they make it hotter. Even if you ask for it, like that's a real thing. I swear to really? you. Really? Oh yeah. If you have an Indian person order your Indian food, you will get it dramatically hotter. Wow. Than if you uh, have a, more midwestern name we'll call it um, what about you what's your home cooked meal Jeez. okay so same situation my dad was the chef in the house for okay. sure he was the one always home cooking the meals uh, my mom probably thinks ketchup is spicy honestly <laughs> so i'm glad she wasn't cooking um random and i feel like this type of meal doesn't get that much love but sloppy joes okay all I right feel like that doesn't get talked about that much but my dad ma- makes a mean sloppy joe. Like a good slept on food for sure. A good sloppy joe is really good. I probably wouldn't have thought of that, but okay, I like yeah, it. Yeah, it was random for sure, but I'm like, I I kind of miss a, a good sloppy joe here and there. Yeah, you don't you don't see a lot of sloppy joes outside of like elementary school right. these days. So that's a good one. It's not like a thing you can order at a restaurant. So there, I there are a couple <laughs> places I can't remember where they were. I we randomly had a caller about this at one point. Um, talking about places you can get Sloppy Joe's oh, wow. in Omaha. Uh, so if that caller, whose name I can't remember because it was months ago, 
uh, is listening, please call and tell Anna where she can get Sloppy Joe's. Please let me know. Um, Speaking of callers, we've got Michael on the line. He wants to talk about Union Omaha on the War Horse Sportsbook Hotline. Michael, what do you have for us? Uh, a few things about Union Omaha. Huge game tonight against Charlotte for mm-hmm. Union Omaha. If they win, they'll get to go and to be in first place in USL League One. That's right. Yeah, Marty was telling about how they uh, they they control their destiny in terms of of winning the the league here so that's uh, that's exciting stuff there yep like tonight at 6 30 p.m at warner park is when they play at kickoff it's also a bobblehead giveaway too yeah lots of exciting stuff going on the hoot juice is back at the bobbleheads they're really stepping their game up it feels like i'm excited to go out there Yep. What if I told you I was the one that came up with the name Hoot the Owl, which is the mascot for Union Omaha? No way. I would say you're a legend. Yeah. <laughs> I was the one that came up with that name a couple years ago, even before Hoot even existed. I thought, hmm, if we had an owl mascot for some, some time, name him Hoot, and it ended up being like a popular name choice via a poll. And then last season, Hoot made his debut. And the rest is history. Uh, Michael, we appreciate the call. Um, yeah, another good reminder to get out to uh, Union Omaha tonight, get out to Warner Park, uh, get some hoot juice, go see Hoot the Owl, yeah. uh, who, who Michael uh, – uh, we'll have to verify with Marty here. We'll have to, we'll have to see. Um, <laughs> I believe him. I do too. I just – you know, I like to fact check here. Are you um, going? Yeah, we are going, Shane. We're going to Union Omaha tonight. I might have to see so, – so Marty said the – uh, Marty said the tailgates kind of get started at like three thirty ish, so I might have to. I might try and get you out might there. Might have to. I might have to try and get out there. Eat a rush early. hour. I know. At three. Yeah, and which then starts at like three thirty. Park, <laughs> and then you're set. I might just go straight from here. Make sure I'm set up, ready to go. I wouldn't be surprised if there was a few fans there. It honestly wouldn't shock me. <laughs> I have to. I have to send out some texts to some of my uh, other Union Omaha fans to see if they're going out tailgating. But, uh, Michael, we appreciate the call. And I appreciate the questions uh, on our little Dingman's get-to-know-you game. Uh, I feel I feel much more enlightened about my co-host today, so appreciate that. Uh, coming up next, I don't know, we'll figure out something to get into, I'm sure. We've got about a half hour left. want to say hey to our folks in Lincoln, KFOR who joined us for this 9 o'clock hour. We will have more of Anna Bellinghouse, myself, I'm Ravi Lula, and coming up later we will wrap up the show here on Herd Out Sports Radio on AM590 ESPN Omaha, ESPN Tri-Cities, and KFOR in Lincoln. Herd at Sports presents The Damon Benning Show with Ravi Lula. Welcome back to Herd Out Sports Radio. I'm Ravi Lula. That's Anna Bellinghausen here with me on a Wednesday, catching up on some of the uh, questions that we were asking each other in the last segment. Uh, somebody asked me on Twitter, Joe wanted to know if I was Team Nathan or Team Lucas on One Tree Hill. <laughs> uh, Team Lucas all the way. He was the shooter, so you know I've that's my. That's my sweet spot is the uh, always love a shooter there. So uh, definitely there. Uh, Amazing Daniel says all-time jersey swap easy. Jackie Robinson, uh, I'm not sure what he would have done with my JV practice jersey, though. (laughs) Fair point. Fair point, Amazing Daniel. So if I wanted to go sentimental, which I could have there, um, 
I probably would have gone uh, Brooke Behringer. He was uh, – so I met him at a diabetes camp when I was a kid uh, the summer between his junior and senior year. Uh, and so he was a very important figure in my youth. So um, if I wanted to go sentimental, I probably would have gone there, but I wanted to try and keep uh, from crying on the air. So definitely <laughs> decided to skip that one. Um, on the Twitter feed – or on the – excuse me, on the YouTube feed, Weekly Geekly uh, was all in on your mashed potatoes pick with, okay. the, with the steak. I'm more of a uh, – I like agratin potatoes, like the real thin sliced cheesy mm-hmm. potatoes. I'm, I'm, those I'm are picking mashed. If you're telling me I need to eat a potato, yeah. I would probably prefer mashed every time. So is mashed your favorite type of potato? Like full, like everything's yes. on the table. Oh, yeah. Over French oh, fries? Whoa. Okay, over French fries. That's tough. See, what about like tater tots? Uh, I put French fries above tater tots. That might be a hot take. Uh, I don't know. It depe- sweet potato fries, though, man. Oh. I love sweet potato fries. I hate sweet potatoes. Oh, those are good. I, I don't know. It's tough. I don't really. I can do a sweet potato pie. I don't want a sweet mm. potato fry. No. Low key, better than pumpkin pie. I'm just saying. What? Okay, I need to try that because I love pumpkin pie. Uh, I did too. Well, mostly I like Cool Whip, and pumpkin pie is a terrific Cool Whip delivery system. Uh, sweet potato pie is a slightly better cool up de- delivery system oh. than a pumpkin pie. Well, maybe it's I've been li- missing out. It's a little naturally sweeter than pumpkin is, hmm. and, but it's a very similar like texture and everything. I'll have to. My wife has changed a, my life. I think my wife is a professional pastry chef, and she makes one every year. We'll s- I'll see if I can maybe get one into the office. Please do to see what. And see I'll give you a sweatshirt. There. Yes, Sasha That's a says. Good trade. Sasha says the stuff is on the way. I'll believe it when I see it. No, um, well, uh, <laughs> but one of the other questions we talked about that kind of sparked some thought that I wanted to get to was you asked me about some of my favorite sports memories, and obviously Creighton was a uh, a big part of those for me, and I'm hoping. I'm hoping they make some more terrific memories this year. I know you've been out at practice yeah. a little bit. Um, I'm incredibly high on this year's team, probably to a point where it maybe freaks people out a little bit. But last year, I'm just going to – I'm keeping receipts here. I said this is a Final Four quality team last year. They were one possession away from making that a reality despite the hiccups in the regular season. And I'm just going to go ahead and say it. I think this year's team has a higher ceiling than last year's team. I think they have the potential to be better. Yeah, it's really interesting because you look at the past two years and they're definitely very opposite, right? So Mm -hmm. the year, of course, with Alex O'Connell and everything like that, where they surprisingly go to the round of 32, the expectations were, in my opinion, pretty low for that team and they exceeded everything and I don't think that's even a hot take there I mean they beat Villanova in the regular season that year and kind of turned some heads right but no one really took them as seriously as the team that they were Mm -hmm. Uh, and then just this past year expectations through the roof right top 10 team all these all these accolades preseason right and then they again lose six games in a row fall out of the top 25 Mm -hmm. and it looks like the season's over yeah and they end up going to the elite eight this year, I don't feel like the expectations are a top five, top ten team right out of the gate because there are some questions at the four spot. There's questions of how Stephen Ashworth is going to fit into mm-hmm. this offense. And you lose two guys in Arthur Kaluma and Ryan Nemhard, who are obviously huge contributors mm-hmm. on the stat sheet and also just effort and whatnot with that team. But yeah, just continuity, right? Those guys have played together for right. two full years. And, yeah. and, and seeing that development, right? You're bringing in new guys. There's always going to be hiccups, mm-hmm. of course. Um, 
But what I think is interesting this year and the vibe I've been getting from practice is that we're sick and tired of the narratives. Mm -hmm. We don't care. We're old. We're over it at this point. We don't care about the preseason hype because we've been there, fallen through the expectations, and then we've also been there and exceeded those expectations. Mm -hmm. And I'm talking to the guys like Ryan Nemhart, or excuse me, Ryan Kalkbrenner, Mm -hmm. and looking at guys that have been there through that since freshman year. Yeah, Trey Alexander and uh, even a Baylor Shireman. I feel like these guys are just over the narratives or over the preseason hype. They just want to play basketball and. From what I've seen, Stephen Ashworth has fit in amazingly. Mm-hmm. He hasn't felt like a new figure on this team. I think the personality fits well. I think his unselfish approach to the game of basketball will really serve him well. He is a facilitator, and I think that's I think that's a constant that Creighton can rely on. Obviously, we need to see him play, but from what I've seen in practice, I think he can be not only that facilitator and that voice in, in that spot, but also can be a dangerous shooter Mm-hmm. on the perimeter especially and a really good compliment to what Baylor Shireman brings and I've watched Baylor in practice I swear he rarely misses yeah every single time I've seen the kid it's nothing I've heard but the, net I've heard the same thing um about Shireman and kind of about the chemistry you were talking mm-hmm. about with some of the newer pieces that have been brought in there and like it, it's it's kind of interesting right because in a vacuum Ryan Nemhart is probably a better basketball player than Stephen Ashworth. I don't think that's, that's he's definitely not, gotten way more hyped. Yeah, and I don't. That's not an insult to Stephen Ashworth. I, that's more of a compliment to Ryan Nemhart. And I was even critical of Nemhart, probably more so than most at times last year. But Stephen Ashworth, I think, is a dramatically better fit for Creighton than Ryan Nemhart was because he's less ball dominant. He's a better pure shooter than mm-hmm. Nemhart was, and because of those things. I think it allows Trey Alexander to take more of a prominent role as an on-ball guy. It allows you to get the ball back into Baylor Shireman's. People forget right. that he was a point guard at, at South Dakota State. Like, he was their starting point guard. He was not a point forward. He was the point guard, right? So he's used to having the ball in his hands, and that was a big change for him last year. Trey Alexander has really developed into this guy that I really want to have the ball in his hands in critical situations. And then you've got Steven Ashworth, who can do all those mm-hmm. things, but doesn't have to. He still provides things. Like, it was really hard for Ryan Nemhard to contribute if he didn't have the ball in his hands. Right. That's not the case with Steven Ashworth. He's a great catch-and-shoot guy. So, I guess that's part of the reason I'm so high on this team is because I think the pieces just fit a little better. And you haven't even mentioned the name Ryan Kalkbrenner. Yeah, who right? I just assume is going to be awesome. Like <laughs> exactly. Preseason All-American, probably Defensive Player of the Year in the Big East again. Yeah. Potentially National Defensive Player of the Year. Um, yeah, we, I haven't mentioned the best player on the team yet, right? Because, to me, he's the constant. He's yes. the guy that you don't worry about. Um, the other position you mentioned, the fours, right? So uh, Isaac Trout. Uh, come and transfer in from Virginia, the Grand Island guy, uh, Mason Miller, who has who I've always been really high on. And then a guy that not a ton of people are talking about, I think Jason Green's going to play a role on this team. Mm-hmm. He brings something to the table that basically no one else on this roster does in terms of the hustle. And not that nobody else hustles, but like he is an energy guy, yep. right? And that is his main goal. So I think there's a place for that. For sure. And you bring up a good point just about energy and grit because last year, to me, the guy that set the tone of intensity was Arthur Kaluma. Mm -hmm. He did a ton of things off the ball that you, number one, can't teach and you can't replicate unless you have another guy that fills that void. And for the team prior, that was Rati for me, right? Mm -hmm. He was the guy going out, putting his body on the line, getting steals in big moments. And then you look at a guy like Arthur Kaluma and leaving, he was the one on the boards, right? He was battling in there and 
doing a lot of things that didn't show up on the stat sheet, right? His numbers weren't where he wanted them to be his last year at Creighton, mm-hmm. but he still was a huge factor in that grind and that effort. So now I think Creighton's biggest question is who's setting the tone defensively, mm-hmm. who's setting the tone on the boards, and who's going to be that guy to bring the energy, and maybe that is a Jason Green. And I love that they have that competition at the four spot because that allows them to be competitive within themselves and mm-hmm. saying – I want to be that guy that makes a difference. I might not be the one that's scoring because that's going that's going to be Trey, that's going to be Steven, that's going to be Ryan in the paint, of course, Baylor. and that Baylor. Like there's so like and the, off the, bench, the depth again. And off the bench probably Jonathan Lawson who's right. I think as good of a shooter maybe as anybody. I mean, mm-hmm. I've heard he's shot the ball incredible in practice. And yes, I've seen that too, and I think this four spot is interesting because they're allowed to have this different position and fill a different need because Creighton has their needs fill, filled when it comes to shooting, mm-hmm. for sure, in that point production. It's way more than they did last year. 100%. And it's funny because last year we were like, oh, this is the deepest team. This is the deepest team. And I even said it. I was mm-hmm. like, this is a deep team. But when I look at this year's roster, and maybe I'm just a broken record, and I'm just going to say this every year, but no, it's, it's this team's crazy deep. how this deep team this team is. Team deep. is. Yeah, it is crazy how deep this team is. I'm really excited for – uh, the season to get underway. Book your trip to Arizona right now. Ooh, I'm, I'm, I hope so. <laughs> I hope so. I'm going to try and, and get out to, you know, I might go down, I think I'm going to try and go down to that little Kansas City tournament that they have this year. It's a little bit easier trip than going down uh, to uh, Maui than it was last year, <laughs> although probably not as enjoyable. Uh, coming up next, we're going to talk to our friend Avery Howard of Herd at Sports, and we'll wrap up the show here on Herd at Sports Radio. Heard at Sports presents the Damon Benning Show with Robbie Lula. In my first year uh, at South Carolina, I had our, our GA graduate assistant was doing the playbook, and we had to pull him out of the office to play quarterback. So uh, nothing new. Uh, you know, whenever you start adventures and you come into a new program, you start to build it. Uh, it's not always easy, and you got to be creative in how you attack. You know, daily challenges. So. We don't really look at it as challenges as much as opportunities to uh, to improve and get better. Wrapping up the show here on a Wednesday. I want to tell you real quick about our friends at Rockbrook Camera. They are not just about selling you a camera. They're about helping you become a real photographer, whatever that means for you, whether you're recording and sharing your life or trying to be a professional photographer. Rockbrook Camera has you covered. They've got the latest and greatest technology, and they'll support you after the sale. They've got monthly classes and can teach you some of the basics if you need to get started. You can trade in your old gear, help you upgrade on that one, or if you're just trying things out, you can go through their extensive rental department as well. Make sure you check out rockbrookcamera.com or visit them in Omaha at 168th and Center or in Lincoln at 70th and Pioneer. Joining us now is our friend Avery Howard of Herd at Sports. Avery, long time no talk. How are you? Such a long time. Good morning, guys. <laughs> it's been almost a full 24 hours. I don't know how you've handled it. Um, yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot going on, obviously. Uh, we covered a lot of Nebraska stuff yesterday, uh, but I'll probably hop in there for you. As we heard Coach Satterfield and Coach White talk yesterday, one of the things that really stuck out to me, and I asked Brian about this a little bit, was Coach White's comments kind of seeming like he didn't think he'd been aggressive enough. We've seen two games straight without sacks for the Nebraska defense. 
are you expecting to see kind of a dramatic shift with that? Is it more just about having Ken Blenhart back? How did you kind of process some of those comments? Yeah, I did think it was interesting as well. I think also sometimes, I think we've discussed this before, that, you know, coaches are going to go up there and say, hey, that's on me. And I can understand at, at some point if they didn't think they were coaching hard enough or being aggressive enough and some of that mindset was trickling down for, you know, I know they've all week been saying, you know, they were playing not to lose, but if they're going up there and saying, you know, we're aggressive enough, maybe subconsciously, they were trying to play it safe in areas, even if they, you know, of course they would never admit, you know, we didn't want to go out and win, but I think they wanted to make sure their guys were comfortable against what Michigan was throwing at them. But nonetheless, I think um, what we saw from this Nebraska defense the first few weeks to what we've seen the last two weeks have been quite different. And maybe I don't I don't want to say this team feels complacent by any means, especially on the defensive side, but maybe just because the performance had been so fluid, maybe it was starting to maybe feel like, okay, we've got a rhythm, we've got this figured out. Um, and I think you have a team like Michigan that comes in and challenges that to prove again, oh, no, no, we've got we've definitely got things to work on. And even though Coach Rule has said that, it's not perfect. They've got tons of things to work on. Unfortunately, it takes the number two team in the nation to come in and, and maybe do a wake-up call. Yeah, Avery, we talked about this earlier in the show, but Matt Rule putting a lot of eggs in one basket and saying, hey, you'll find out about this team, you'll find out about me come Friday. What do you think that needs to be? Um, well, I think it needs to be a dominant performance is what it has to be, quite frankly. I think we – I mean, Robbie and I talked to an Illinois writer yesterday, and he said on their side of things, because they've lost such a big game against Purdue, they're having a lot of – I guess what you would call in my household coming to Jesus conversation. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I'm curious how that looks for both teams, because if Illinois is having those, um, and we don't necessarily know what, what their press conference is and just what their practices look like, but on Nebraska's end, everyone seems a little bit fired up. Everyone seems pretty disappointed, but um, pretty angry in terms of like how it's time to turn things around. And um, I, I, I really do think that if, I think actually when you guys talked to Brian Christopherson earlier, he talked about, you know, coach has been, he uh, said earlier this week, he's like, you know, you've seen the nice coach rule, you've seen the rule that will walk through the process with the guys, but, you know, it's time for me to kind of get on them and who cares too much about this team. And I also think that still has to do with the process. Like how many times have we heard this coaching staff say standards again this week? Like there still is a process, but there's also a standard that has to be upheld throughout this process and I think this past season was one of those where it was like it's just truly not good enough even if we're learning and even if we're like you know the messages from the head coaches you know even if we're getting this together if we were trying to write this shit those performances still aren't justifiable so I think this weekend like I think the best way to put it is Tony White's words you know they have to play with their hair on fire and truly kind of play with a pissed off attitude. Avery uh, I'm looking at the way uh, this schedule kind of plays out, and we've talked a lot about the opportunity in front of Nebraska over the next few games. Um, but do you think if let, you know, let's take the optimistic view for one point. Let's say they go three and one or four and zero oh over the next four games. Do you think we're going to look back at this whole Sunday full padded practice thing as a major turning point in this season? I would say so. If that's the case, if Nebraska goes 4-0 and in the next month, holy cow. Um, <laughs> that would be incredible, I'm sure, for every, every Husker fan out there. Because um, what did we say yesterday? That there hasn't been a four-game winning streak in... This is 2016. Yeah, 2016, right. yeah. Yeah, so that'd be incredible. I would say, I mean, I think it, you have, sometimes you have to have practices like that. I mean, sometimes 
Um, you know, it does. It's, it's a wake up. And even though we've discussed this so much that there's a process building, it's a day by day thing and trying to stay positive and keep the head up and trying to, you know, t- pay attention to small details along as the season goes. I mean, I don't, I, I, Coach Rule still wants to win today. I don't, I think sometimes that's kind of got lost. Like, you know, he is a day by day coach. Mm-hmm. But I think it would be like mistaken to, for him to not say, like, we want to get victories where we should be getting them, you know, from in his words. Um, right now in this season. So if they went 4-0 and and, you know, the Michigan game was the game that turned things around to, I, I guess I, it makes me think too, like last year, what do we, what do we think the response was from Nebraska after getting beat uh, to an Ohio State or a Michigan or such team? Do we, do we feel like it was this pissed off attitude or it's kind of like, oh, that's just kind of how things go. So I think seeing this switch in attitude a little bit, I think fans, would look back on potentially this Michigan game and a response as probably a turning point. I mean, I feel like the response from Saturday had to be different, right? I think if it was just the same old, same old, that would be super worrisome. And I think it would get fans angry, honestly, if they're looking at their head coach and seeing just the same things come out of his mouth rather than, okay, we're changing things. We're having a padded practice on Sunday that we don't ever do. I think this was – a good turning point regardless if it pays off or not I think it's still a like you said come to Jesus moment Avery of hey this is serious and Matt Rule has said I think this was in his interview with Damon Benning this doesn't feel like year one for him at Nebraska he feels like this program and the resources and the players are further along to where this can feel like more of a year two for him I mean, we'll have to see how that ends up being, uh, obviously, at the end of the season. But uh, I just want your thoughts there on on those comments and where this team is right now. No, I totally think you're on the right path there because, like I I mentioned, like before what fans and people were seeing after big games and big losses and, you know, the fourth quarter losses, it was just the kind of the same old, same old. And, of course, you know, media and fans don't get an inside look at practice. But from an outside perspective, it was like, hey, nothing's still changing. We're not getting any answers as to because of that crushing loss and it felt like there wasn't as much fire and desire out there, what, what's going to change? Where I think that's dramatically switched, at least in this week. You know, we've seen a response change. We've seen what the coaches have said. It's, there's really been a flip switch. It's really gone from I believe in these guys to, you know, we're going to get there, we're going to get there, to I believe in these guys so much that we're no longer accepting those kind of performances here in Nebraska. So I think the messaging one has definitely been something that you, you hear it from all of them. They all say the same things. They clearly believe, it seems just a, that they all they believe in what their head coaches and their individual coaches are telling them. They speak the same language. So after a while, I think you, you buy into that. Um, but, yeah, I do agree with you. I think there would be a ton of anger if there didn't seem to be a flip in messaging. However, I, they still have to go out and do it on right, Friday right. to back up everything that's been spoken about this week. Avery, I, I wanted to ask you, because we talked about earlier um, kind of Heinrich Harburg's progression as a passer. Uh, Anna brought up that, you know, there seems like there's maybe some chemistry with Billy Kemp developing. Seems like he does a pretty good job of finding Marcus Washington, although Marcus Washington needs to hold on to a couple more of those. And then it seemed like the chemistry with Thomas Fedoni kind of was there almost from the jump. Are you kind of encouraged of what, about what you've seen? I mean, listen, he's not Caleb Williams or anything, but you, are you encouraged <laughs> about his progression as a passer in three games as a starter? Yeah, I am. I think you, you get the, the first game jitters kind of under your belt. You know, you're going to just go out and try and perform the best for your team. And then I think now that you've settled in a few games, it's like, okay, 
now we're really running an offense and now I'm really in charge of this. And um, I do think outside of Heiner's performance in general, I think it was before Northern Illinois or was the, yeah, I think it was before Northern Illinois coach rule that we have to get Thomas Fedoni and we have to get Billy Kemp more involved in the game. So I think that was also a push in the offense in general, because that next game, the next two weeks, both of those players were involved more. So I think that was also a focus point. Um, but I, yeah, I am. I think in general, we know what he can do with his legs. He knows he's a physical runner. And I think defense defenses now are assuming that's what he's going to do. So he does have to become multidimensional. So I think, you know, we discussed it yesterday, the yardage and the completions. He still had over, I think it was 150 yards passing against, I mean, and didn't create any offense, but he still found a way in some places against the number two team in the nation to make completions. So I think this will be a big game this weekend, assuming he's starting. We don't know yet, but it seems like Jeff Sims isn't still 100%. Um, this will be a big game to maybe find that confidence in his arm strength and just completion rate. That's Avery Howard of Herd at Sports. Avery, uh, will. We'll talk to you tomorrow. You'll be joining me here on the show, so we appreciate that for sure, and uh, we appreciate yeah, your time right. joining us every Wednesday, as always. That's our friend Avery Howard. Anna, thank you so much for joining me here today. We had a great time. I feel like we got to know each other a oh, little yeah. bit better. Uh, you know, I, I still don't know about the mashed potatoes over French fries. I still don't know about the sweet potato pie. Listen, I, I, I'll bring one in. I'll have the wife make one. Uh, that's not a, a misogyny thing. She's a pastry chef. So um, I will have her make one and bring it into the office, and you can try it out. I was skeptical, too, um, but it, it, it's life-changing. And I don't know about Anna saying that I would have a Babe Ruth poster. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, that was off thing? the air. Sorry, I think that Shane. Was, I think she was just making fun of you because you're old, Shane. Which I was. makes me feel better because I'm a lot older than her, too, but it's all right. We had a good time. Anna, thank you so much. Thanks so much. Hail Varsity Radio, every weekday afternoon from 4 to 6 p.m. On Thursday, show from counterread.com, Brandon Vogel, former Colorado football head coach Gary Barnett, and staff writer for The Athletic, Mitch Sherman, that and more. Hail Varsity Radio is the best sports talk radio show around. Chris Schmidt and Elijah Herbal have you covered every weekday, 4 to 6 p.m. with Hail Varsity Radio.